Hello, it's 18th of March 2017 and this is episode 21 of Scavenger's Horde, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. We're here to deliver a regular rundown of Star Wars news, analysis and commentary with a focus on the sequel trilogy and the future of the saga. So this week it's going to be relatively quiet because... For a start, we don't have Natasha and Shy with us for the whole show. Sad times. They are here for the spotlight, though, which is like what was left of the discussion we had last week. So you have that to enjoy later on. Um, and it's pretty badass, if I don't mind saying so myself. <laughs> um, and yeah, like besides that, it's actually been quite a quiet week, hasn't it, Kirsty, in terms of news and stuff? Yeah, I mean, we have a few little bits here and there but it's been mostly quiet i'm guessing because we have the lead up to celebration happening now so they're going to want to save all the big stuff for then exactly like it's not much longer guys it's less than a month now we can do this we can do this together <laughs> yeah there's a pretty exciting episode of rebels on tonight which i'll definitely be watching and avoiding twitter so that i don't get spoiled but um yeah we'll have to talk about that next week so yeah like i've actually already seen spoilers for that don't worry i won't say anything okay good um <laughs> Um, but yeah, it certainly sounds very exciting. So there's mm-hmm. going to be lots to enjoy there, which is good. Um, yeah, and basically what we decided to do this time, because like it is so quiet in terms of news, we decided to use it as an opportunity to get us around to as many people's questions as possible. So you're going to notice there's like a nice long question time this episode. Um, and yeah, so if you would like to send any questions to us for the next episode of the podcast, you can send them to scavengershorde at gmail.com. Um, and yeah, besides that business, like, is there anything that's happened this week that you'd like to bring up or mention, Kirsty? Um, just before we started recording, we were talking about um, this article in, was it The Express? Yes. That's... Um, you know, it's one of those usual Star Wars articles you see where people are like, oh, wow, look at this, you know, this theory that um, some YouTuber is talking about. Um, what do you think of that? Um, but it's from Mike Zero's YouTube channel, who I think we've talked about before. Mm-hmm. Um, and he basically brings up the possibility of a romance between Rey and Kylo Ren, which is fine. But the uh, the article reporting on it, like... They position it as this like brand new theory that Mike Zero came up with himself, which, you know, he's obviously very high profile, but it wouldn't have taken much just to kind of reference the the content and theories that he's basing his own stuff on, because we know that he didn't come up with a lot of the observations himself. Like we we had Shai and Natasha on the show last week talking about the essays that they wrote over a year ago now. Um that discuss these kind of tropes and things that are only really being brought up in the wider fandom now. So it's hard not to interpret some angles as kind of sexist because Raylo shippers have been kind of experiencing this form of gaslighting Mm. (laughs) for lack of a better term um, in the fandom at large, kind of just being told that we're crazy and imagining things for a long time. Um, when actually we're just pointing out things that are in the story that it's possible we're misinterpreting, but they're there and it's worth having that discussion. But, um, you know, it's it's been a controversial topic and it's been banned on certain corners of the internet. Like, I, I was personally banned from a forum just for trying to talk about it. Um, not in an obnoxious way or anything. I was just trying to point out stuff that was actually in the story and trying to find people who wanted to talk about it. So mm. it's a little... Yeah. frustrating 
Yeah, no, that that was the main word I was thinking of. This is all just super frustrating because it's like the theories and the ideas is like they have no value because they come from women and they're posted on sites like Tumblr, which like immediately means apparently that they don't have any value or no pl- stock is to be placed in them because they're posted on this particular platform whereas for reasons that are completely mysterious to me if a very popular youtube channel posts it then suddenly that's legitimate and that's worth um talking about and publicizing and promoting yeah um and yeah it just baffles me because the vast majority of these youtube videos they're just clickbait videos um and, and i don't think that's being unfair to these sites or mike zero in particular because i think mike zero he's covered Virtually every Star Wars theory conceivable. He's covered Ray Solo. He's covered Ray Skywalker. He's covered Raylo. He's covered Ray Palpatine. He's covered Ray Kenobi. Like it's not all these theories. They cannot all coexist. <laughs> so it's almost like he's throwing darts at every single board possible because at least one of them is likely to stick at some point. So then he'll be able to dig through his archive once the truth comes out and say, "Look, look, I got it right." But he'll only, only have got it right because it was one guess of many, many, many guesses. Yeah. I think just to generally, like, we've talked about this before, but there's this weird distinction in fandom, and I can't help but see it as sexist, between mm. shippers and people who are speculating seriously on a potential romance. Yeah. And, you know, I can't speak for you, but I personally like ended up seeking out the Raylo fandom because I wasn't aware of fandoms and ships and all of this stuff before you know going online to try and talk to people about the force awakens Mm. but the way that the fandom generally reacted to it it's like okay well we became like this niche out of necessity yeah um but we were talking about stuff that's actually in the film and i know that there there do exist like crack ships are a thing Mm. and there's lots of stuff in the Raylo fandom that's obviously just like headcanons and fluff and fanfic and people acknowledge that that's what it is and just have fun with it Mm. um but it's just like this weird like shunning of the potential theory as a whole. Yeah. Um, saying that like, there's nothing of value there unless a man comes along and says that there is. Yeah, no, it, it is really, really gross. It's like the, these theories are basically delegitimized because they are associated with things like fan fiction and stuff like to tie anything to fan fiction is almost like the ultimate insult. Like because then it calls to mind things like I don't know, like Twilight and Fifty Shades of Grey and stuff like that, you know? They're, like, often derided as, like, bad fanfiction. And, like, my personal feelings on those things aside, there is, like, a stink of sexism associated with those criticisms. Like, it's so heavily biased against the fact that these things are, like, female wish fulfillment and, like, female sexual fantasies. And, like, I personally don't particularly like those works, but I really do think like the dialogue surrounding them is really gross because of how heavily gendered it is. Like, and I can't help but think if a man had written this, I don't think the vitriol would be anywhere near as strong. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, like I just think what we see happening with how like the Raylo theory is discussed and reported on in the wider media is just part of that like overall picture of how things are reported on. And like the difference it makes in terms of whether these things are coming from like a female mouthpiece or a male mouthpiece, because like for what I can only guess, the reasons associated with deeply entrenched sexism, 
something coming from a man's mouth automatically means it has much more value and weight than coming from a woman's mouth and it's sad yeah that's the thing like I, I don't want to be like well, we thought of it first so you're not welcome yeah sure. <laughs> that's not what it's about it's just like acknowledging that these theories did already exist it wasn't mm. it wasn't just like not a thing until a man thought of it it's also kind of naive to be like it's just to not even consider the fact that people would have picked up on this thing between a heroine and villain you know yes. like obviously that would have existed we're we're more than a year out from the force awakens so there's just no way if this person had done a bit of preliminary research they would have found it very easily mm. um but yeah like this the the way in general like that fan fiction is thought of in media because um shy was talking about um last week the article from the atlantic that came out like just a maybe a couple months after the force awakens was released mm -hmm. it was very much about Raylo as fan fiction yeah it was called 50 shades of ray wasn't it <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> uh, but yeah like so fan fiction as an idea in fandom and the wider media is very much gendered like it's something that female fans do which is not actually true lots of male fans write fan fiction yes but men tend to be more associated with things like cosplay and um fan-made films mm. And those seem to be taken more seriously for some reason. And it's like, yeah. it has to be a, a gendered sexist thing. Yeah. It's like, if you look on the Star Wars Reddit, like the most popular things on there, they're like pictures of like people in cosplay and their links to trailers for like slick looking fan films. You would never find like a Raylo fan fiction on the R Star Wars subreddit with like hundreds of upvotes. That is just inconceivable because that, kind expression of fandom is considered so lesser than like the other expressions of fandom and yeah like it's, it's interesting to me like there, there's going to be lots of complicated reasons feeding into this like tiering of like what's valuable and what's worthwhile and what's not but yeah it's just very frustrating yeah but i say overall it's cool to see people um opening up to the idea that Rey and Kylo could have a romance or at least something that's a bit more interesting than basic hero and villain mm -hmm. um but it's it's just the way it's kind of put out there yeah. it has to be done a bit more respectfully to people who've been here and then experienced that kind of negativity for a long time now like you can't help but feel a little bitter about it even though you know it shouldn't matter yeah no totally um and I think it really, all of this is just strongly sympt symptomatic of how there are absolutely no standards, like journalistic standards, when it ha comes to how this stuff is reported on. So it is purely done to attract clicks to the websites in question. Because I think The Week, <laughs> every single week, The Week, puts out a new article reporting on Reddit user XXX <laughs> says this theory that Ray's mother is going to turn out to be a giraffe. Um, <laughs> the this other Reddit user commented that, and like, there's no proper journalism in that. There's no research. It's just copying other people's words to get clicks. And yeah. yeah, it's just sad. It's like if you're going to report on these things at all, you should at least try and do a better job on it. But that won't happen. Yeah. Um, well. Yeah, such is life. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys, that was a bit of a depressing start to the episode. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, like I think it's useful to get these things off our chest sometimes and just have these discussions because that's what the podcast is about as much as, as much as anything. Like just letting us be candied and like talk about these things. Yeah, 
I, I know that I've listened to other podcasts before where they've gone on kind of around uh, sometimes about Mike Zero specifically, um, <laughs> yeah. but sometimes about like the idea of their theories being stolen and not being credited for things and for their mm. content as well. So yeah, it's fair. It's definitely not exclusive to us. Um, right. With that said, um, obviously, if you like the show, please do rate and review us on iTunes because that helps us out massively. Um, and as I mentioned before, if you have any questions at all, please do email them to scavengershorde at gmail.com. And you can find us on Facebook and on Twitter. So if you want to go and signal your approval there, run wild, my friends. Mm-hmm. Um, right, then to move on to the news, the first story is that Frank Oz has basically confirmed that he's going to be in The Last Jedi without actually saying he's in The Last Jedi. Um, so yeah, he was speaking to Variety and Event about Jim Henson and his work. Um, and so he was asked, there are reports that you might reprise Yoda in the new Star Wars. Frank Oz, I feel like I'm a prisoner at war here and I can only give you my name, rank and serial number. <laughs> to be true to the people who asked me, and they are kind of my family, I have to say I've been asked not to talk about it. I love Yoda. I would be happy to talk to you about it at the time they let me. <laughs> Bless him. <laughs> That's like one of the sweetest answers to that kind of question I've ever seen. Yeah. It's actually quite adorable. It's basically saying, yes, I am. I've been told not to say I am. So please go away. I can't. Oh, yeah, because we've had of a, like, in you know, when people were all wondering about um, where the Palpatine was going to be in Rogue One, mm. Ian McDermott was asked... And he just said no flat out. Yeah. So, you know, if if there's nothing to hide, then they can just say no. He would not be answering like that. Yeah. So this is basically a yes, but I do feel bad for him because it seems like he was caught a bit off guard, even though he probably should have anticipated it. <laughs> I mean, the older generation of actors, they were not used to this level of secrecy because the original trilogy wasn't anything like that, was it? So No, it wasn't. I think you had like David Prowse talking to the local newspaper <laughs> and, say, and saying, oh yeah, Luke's dad is Darth Vader. <laughs> yeah, what's the big deal? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like n- now he truly would be shot by Lucasfilm security. Um, yeah, so I, I know we've heard rumours about this a long time ago, about Yoda coming back, I think, from making Star Wars, but like, is it a prospect that excites you, Kirsty? It does, because I feel like he's he could play an important part in terms of... Um, the story between Ray and Luke and like getting Luke back into the fight or kind of contributing to whatever that plot building up in the background has been as to why Luke has, you know, left Leia and gone off searching for something. Um, so hopefully he'll bring something of value and it wouldn't just be like a form of fan service. No, totally. That, that's kind of what I'm hoping for. I don't want it to be treated like the Millennium Falcon moment in The Force Awakens. Oh, yeah. I, I think that, that was cool and fine, and I understand why they had to do that for The Force Awakens. But that's, like, so cheap. It's like it's like putting a picture of, like, your childhood dog, your beloved childhood dog, like, in the middle of the frame, because it, you know that will automatically encourage everyone in the audience to go, oh, Like, do you know what I mean? It's emotionally manipulative. To yeah, it, it's very self-aware, extent. isn't it? Like, yeah. when you... It it kind of takes you out of the moment, and it, like it does for me anyway. This like, oh, they're referencing the Millennium Falcon like that because it's a big deal for the audience or the older audience who's familiar with the original trilogy. But like the new films, and I, I'm sure that they will get to this place eventually. They do have to stop being so self aware with the references. Yeah, they can't rely on that nostalgia too much. So. Yeah, no, exactly. So like you, I'm happy to see Yoda back, 
but I do think it's important that he's used to progress the story rather yeah. than just be there as like a nostalgia button to press. Like, and I trust that Ryan won't be doing that. And like, I think if any of the characters are to come back as Force Ghosts, I think Yoda definitely makes the most sense because I, he was one of the oldest Jedi. And if anyone is going to be a good source of wisdom, he is. Like, Obi-Wan's also good. Like, but he had a much, much smaller lifespan. Um, so, yeah, like, he's probably going to have less in the way of sage advice to offer. So, uh, if you think back to the original trilogy, some of the advice that Obi-Wan gave Luke was actually deeply flawed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and Luke actually won in the end by completely ignoring Obi-Wan and doing what he didn't want him to do. Um, so, Obi-Wan probably felt a bit silly after all that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, have you got anything else to say on Yoda? Um, not really. I mean, maybe we'll see him in a trailer coming soon. Who knows? Yeah, I reckon they might do it where like you hear like a line from Yoda at the end of the trailer, like to tease it without actually showing him. Yeah, because it's the kind of thing I'm not sure they're gonna keep it completely secret until the film comes out. That would almost be like keeping the fact that the Millennium Falcon was in the Force Awakens secret until the film came out, which obviously didn't happen. <laughs> I do wonder if we see Yoda, that that possibly indicates that there'll be less of Maz because mm. she was kind of filling that, that gap in the story in The Force Awakens. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure how she was received by the general audience. I'm mm. assuming well, but I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I think Lupita has hinted that her part in this one is quite small. Yeah, she has. Like, I... Like, so I don't think she even did her filming until after principal photography had wrapped. Oh, really? I didn't yeah, know Yeah, like, I'm pretty sure I remember that. Okay. Um, so I think Lupita was asked about it at some event or something. She said, oh, I haven't actually shot anything yet. <laughs> okay. Um, which confused me at the time, because very early during the filming of The Last Jedi, Ryan, I think on Tumblr, he put up a photo, like, showing what looked to be a mo-capped Mars, like, projected on a screen. Um, like mm. indicating that they were filming something with her quite early, but it's perfectly possible they just used to stand in. Yeah, that's probably what happened, right? Yeah, exactly. It's the most logical thing. Um, Sloopy's has turned into a big star, so it's probably not too far up her priorities to film for like a thirty-second role. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. Then to move on, we have a few tidbits from the last Jedi trailer. As spoilery, per... spoiler. Yeah, spoilery, but. <laughs> Again, like I'd say really low level, it's stuff, obviously by the nature of the report, it's stuff that will, you'd only consider it a spoiler if you don't want to know what happens in the trailers, for example, because this is meant to be shot descriptions from the trailers. So basically, if you don't plan on watching any trailers for Star Wars, or at least if you don't want to hear about them in advance, skip ahead, please. Yeah, I guess that's what I mean. Like, it's not just about, oh, it's going to be in a trailer. It's like, if you want to experience the trailer yourself like first time so i'm conscious of the fact that we have been historically really bad at this kind of thing <laughs> yes sorry to anyone we've spoiled <laughs> <laughs> so so sorry <laughs> oh goodness um right yeah so this is from stars newsnet and it says these shots will be in the last jedi trailer it says there'll be a shot of a large city of some sort also there will be what looks like an important procession and a feast there is a ship which looks to be a new design or an X-Wing of sorts, appearing above a blue planet at high speed. When we asked for further clarification, the source said that the first two shots appeared to be a funeral of some type and an important dinner. 
Not sure if he got that right. The extras involved were all dressed in black, and the city had an old look, not futuristic. And the shot of the ship looked to be an X-Wing model, which zooms on the screen at an alarming rate. Um, so yeah, did this add to your hype or get you excited at all, Kirsty? Not really. <laughs> no, it didn't me either. It's like the vaguest of the vague, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's probably because these are all things that we're vaguely familiar with already. Yes. So I'm guessing the large cities, like the Dubrovnik set. Yeah. Um, we've heard rumours about that procession and the fact that like all of those extras were dressed in quite formal, fancy clothing. Um, I know like this, there have been rumours and I don't... I'm not sure about them, but this idea that there could be a funeral for Han Solo. I I was talking to you about it the other day, and we both agreed that it's probably more likely that it would be like a memorial for Hosnian Prime. Yes. Um, so that's totally possible. Yeah. It um, seems very, like, almost royalist to just have a procession for one person when billions of people have died. <laughs> exactly. And especially for it being Han Solo as well, which doesn't, I don't know. I mean, I'm guessing that he was still quite a divisive figure, even though he was like a you know a general in the rebellion. Um, yeah, he's also a smuggler, you know, so he has that kind of dichotomy going on. Yeah, lots of people wanted his head. So yeah, exactly. It's not like he was a straightforwardly beloved person. Yeah, um, yeah, and then a ship. Woohoo! <laughs> I love my ships. I do. To be yeah, fair, I... not that kind of ship so much. <laughs> Yeah, but lots of fans do, so yeah, no, no, maybe that's fine. exciting for them. Like, because it says like, oh, it might be a new design. Yeah, you know, that that's cool for people who are into that stuff. So yeah, no, exactly. I'm sure it'll be featured in the cross sections of the Last Jedi, <laughs> <laughs> which will be an actual book. I actually have the cross sections of the Force Awakens, which I brought mainly because I wanted to see what the interior of Kyla's ship looked like. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> Research. <laughs> it's very valid. Um. Yeah, like I, I feel like I've really little to say on this. It's gosh, this week has been so slow. <laughs> um, and just reading this back reminds me of how slow. It's the calm before the storm. Yeah, no, exactly. Uh, like I'm going to be. I think I'm going to be elated, but also really stressed out, because right now I almost feel like quite lethargic in terms of the state of Star Wars news, because there is no Star Wars news. Um... <laughs> Uh, and yeah, like all this stuff sounds fine. Like it's, I like the prospect of actually seeing an urban center. Yeah, it's kind of got that prequels vibe as well, which obviously was missing from the Force Awakens. So exactly, yeah. Like Force Awakens, it was much more about having the environments you'd expect from like a space fantasy movie. So like a castle, um, like a desert wasteland, like a big bad base where all the baddies live, and that kind of thing. And just seeing something like a bit more ordinary with actual general people living there, that's quite appealing to me. So yeah, I hope we see that and just get a better sense of like the ecosystem in this world. Mm-hmm. And then I'm assuming that that would play into that To Catch a Thief subplot with um, Finn and Kelly Marie Tran. Yeah, definitely. So. I'd like to see them pull off a heist of some description. Yeah, it seems like that would be a major setting in the film. So Yeah. No, they put a lot of work into the Dubrovnik filming when they did that like last year so I think we're going to see that reap dividends which would be cool Mm -hmm. and this brings us to our last piece of news (laughs) which is from Gareth Edwards and he's explaining why we won't be getting any Rogue One deleted scenes Um, and this is from an interview with Edwards from Fandango so it goes 
That's not an individual scene that you can drag and drop and put on a Blu-ray, he said. There are little things that would come and go during the process of post-production, but they're not scenes. They're more moments within the scenes, or a single shot, so it's impossible to be able to do that, and that's why the decision was made. The stuff people talk about, like what they saw in the trailer, they're not scenes you can just put on a DVD. They're moments of in-scenes and threads, and you pull out a thread and it all changes. (laughs) It was changing the whole time. It's not like there was one version, and then there was this other version. It was like this thing that incrementally evolved constantly through all of post-production, and didn't stop until there was a gun at our heads, and we were forced to release the movie. Kirsty, what did you make of Gareth's comments? I thought he probably should have just stopped talking towards the end there. (laughs) That is some unfortunate but hilarious phrasing. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, oh, Gareth. Baby. <laughs> a gun to your head like forced to release the movie <laughs> I don't know oh I feel so mean about Rogue One but they make it so easy yeah I mean it, it totally makes sense him walking us through why there aren't the deleted scenes because that is how the filmmaking process works right like there would be all these different elements and moving parts and then it's not like with The Force Awakens deleted scenes where they have this narrative and then there's just chunks of it they chose to take out they were actually evolving the story as they were going along yes Um, so it makes sense it's just interesting that they even need to address it i guess they were just asked and he was trying to answer it on the fly but yeah no exactly um it really is such an awkward thing for gareth edwards to talk about because obviously no one's been transparent on the reshoots even though they clearly clearly happened and they were very extensive um, and I think this is probably the closest I've seen like Edwards come to basically admitting, yeah, like the fundamental plot of the film changed. Mm. Um, yeah, so it's not really news as such, but it's interesting to see that coming from him because it was quite a clear picture from everything else we knew, like from the trailers and from the comments of others and from other people's reports. But yeah, I like to see Gareth talking about it. It's very interesting. And I bet those like final months in getting the movie ready, there must have been some very stressful times. Yeah, it sounds like it. Like it sounds as if they were working right up until the end point, and still changing things that ended up being quite significant. Because I still see people expressing disappointment that things in the trailers didn't make it into the final film, like that Tie Fighter with Jin. Yeah, you know, people are still hoping that eventually we see that. Um, but as he's explaining, that scene probably doesn't exist as a finished product because it was one element of the scene that we did end up seeing that once they took out, they had to replace with other things. And so I don't know if like 20 years down the line, we'd get these things from the archives, you know, mm-hmm. but they would they would then have to do other work to them to um, have it even make sense. Yeah, I think the only way they could release these like deleted scenes would literally just be to do a different cut of the movie. Yeah, like because obviously Gareth Edwards had a cut that was closer to the original concept for the film, and that was shown to people, and they were concerned by what they saw, and then that's what led to these massive reshoots happening. Um, but yeah, like the original concept of the movie is still exists somewhere, and then I'm sure there were several iterations of the film between like that early cut that triggered the reshoots, and then the final product. Because I'm sure, like Gareth indicates, they were playing around with what this film was actually going to be, like in those final months. Mm-hmm. I still think it's so interesting that the Vader stuff was added in pretty late. 
Mm. Like after celebration, you know? Yeah. Like it indicates to me perhaps they had like a lack of faith in the ability of the film to really leave the right impact if like it didn't end on that note, like tying it back into the original trilogy, reminding you about that nostalgia factor. Yeah, and I think and that's valid because that's what a lot of people came away talking about. Yeah. You know? And in a way, I think it's quite sad because I do think that ending with um, Jin and Cassian, like just embracing on the beach is like the light takes over everything because the planet's like severely compromised, shall we say. So I don't think the planet's destroyed. I think it's just suffers a big dent. Um, like I think that's powerful, like in its yeah. own right. Um, and I do kind of think it undermines that by just going from them and it's like, okay, well, they're dead now. Let's go and see Darth Vader kicking ass. Like, it's super cool and I love that scene, but yeah. Yeah, I remember first watching the film and when you, you see Jin and Cassian on the beach and like the, the mushroom clouds coming towards them, I thought that was the ending and then it cuts away and you have that kind of somber music as you then see Vader on the ship ready to board the other one. Mm. I was like, oh, it's not. it was like a second ending. It almost reminded me, of, you know, at the end of Return of the King where they're like all those different fade-ins, fades out. <laughs> yes. Um, it's like, oh, that's not the ending. Oh, that's not the ending. <laughs> it's yeah. still going. Um, it's so, like, yeah. make up your mind. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I like the Vader scene, obviously, and I know that lots of other people do. Mm. Um, it's just, it's interesting how that was kind of just tacked on to the end there. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, is there anything else we'd like to say about that? I don't think so. Okay, cool. Right, then what you are going to hear next is the second half of the discussion between ourselves and Shy and Natasha. Um, so yeah, we basically talk about Raylo in the fandom, like and how it's been received. <laughs> um, and then we talk like in, in what I consider quite a fun segment about what our expectations and hopes are and stuff for like Raylo in the films, like how realistic we find it to be as a prospect. So yeah, buckle in and enjoy. Right. So to move on, we are now going to touch upon a different facet of Raylo, which is <laughs> Raylo. <laughs> which is Raylo in the wider Star Wars fandom. So, like, if anyone who ships Raylo will know that Raylo is highly controversial mm-hmm. for like a long list of complicated reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like it's just generally treated as something of a pariah in the Star Wars fandom, and people who ship it are genuinely questioned on all kinds of crazy grounds, on the grounds of their morality, on the grounds of their intelligence. Um, like, and there's just all these like outrageous accusations laid against people just on the basis of them seeing this particular dynamic in the movie and running with it to various extents, like so they ship it in fandom terms. Um, yeah, and I just felt that we could probably have an interesting discussion about like why that is and like our feelings like on this particular aspect of the ship. Um, so yeah, Natasha, did you want to go first? Sure, absolutely. Kind of wrote about this before, but I came into the Star I came back into the Star Wars fandom for The Force Awakens. And I think that there was a lot of expectation and hope 
around having that continuation of the series. And I think a lot of it was driven by the fan base that had been around since the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy. And Mm -hmm. the marketing was really well done in the sense that we really weren't given a a good window into what the story was going to be or what it was going to represent for those people, especially. Um, So, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of emotional connection investment in there, right? People who make their lives still talking about Star Wars, you know? And so I think there was kind of a subtle expectation that that the sequel trilogy would follow the original trilogy and prequel trilogies in the sense of how they were centered on and kind of marketed towards a specific subset of the fandom. Right. Mm-hmm. And so when that move, when the movie came out and the fans kind of reacted the way they did, you saw a lot of the older, maybe more of the, uh, cause it's typically more male fan base kind of alienated by the movie in, in itself because it maybe didn't speak to them as much as they had hoped. They, I think a lot of, a lot of people were strongly affected by Han's death. They weren't either expecting it or, um, it wasn't clear to them for narrative reasons why it happened. Um, and then on top of that, the story very clearly is a female centered story. I mean, you have Finn as a deuteragonist, so he has his own hero's journey and arc that runs through the story and will continue to run through the trilogy. But Ray had a very, prominent thread and then um was obviously the main the main conflict the the antagonist is against her she's a protagonist and the story is is told and and towards her perspective and towards women's perspective in general so when you kind of have the status quo assumption that the hero's journey is going to be the big part of it and luke Luke's legacy is going to be the most important thing to the story. And then he ends up just showing up in the last 30 seconds and not saying anything. <laughs> you, you, it's typical that you're going to see people try to invent, create an investor or an idea around his, his importance still being there, right? I think yeah. everything we've seen so far in terms of people's speculation and theorizing has been around how can we make Luke more central to the story? How yeah. can his? How can we recreate his relationship with Mara Jade in canon? How can we? More importantly, who did he knock up? That's exactly. The, that's the real question. Yeah. And you know that's a really sad thing too, because a lot of the times it's not even a concern about whether or not who he knocked up or how he knocked up or whatever. They don't even really care about seeing any kind of build up or romance or story around that. And we don't have any indication that they're building that story because obviously we would have heard something about casting or writing or whatever, right? But they don't, it doesn't really matter. What all, the only thing that, that's another fridged mother that they can kind of shove to the side and just so that Ray can be, you know, the legacy for the Skywalkers that can kind mm-hmm. of um, eliminate what they saw as being the wrong, you know, legacy for the Skywalkers, which is obviously Kylo because he's, he's, he's the epitome of what happens when you have, a, a, you know, huge amounts of force power and you're raised without any kind of, uh, I guess, you know, that's a lot to deal with just from being born. It's a divine child archetype, right? He's born into great responsibility and he's going to fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone would. Um, yeah. So he, yeah. And so they, you know, this, this, this kind of dialogue that's shown up and in, in sort of like, especially kind of the more established fandom has been, we need Ray to be a Skywalker so that she can, she can cancel out Leia Leia's a failed bloodline and you know they and so 
yeah, when we when we're kind of arguing, um, no, he's actually the Skywalker of the story, and Ray is not, and Ray has her own story to have, and he does too. But like she's, in a, she's already changed his path so completely just by interfering with it, right? She's, she's changed him, and he is obviously going to change because of her for her, you know. And it, it's not anything like you know she needs a man to save her. It's more like he needed to be saved and so did Luke because obviously Luke failed at some point in not being able to protect his his academy or um, keep Ben from falling falling so yeah like if if you're really thinking about it from a women-centered standpoint Ray's story is the most important it doesn't matter who she's born from it doesn't matter um it, it it does matter in the sense that she wants to reconnect with her family and she misses them and loves them but Star Wars is also about the family that we find and make. Mm -hmm. And that, to us, that kind of support Rey being an independent character and also the possibility of a relationship between Rey and Kylo is, is I just think that they, instead of seeing that kind of interesting, powerful narrative construct, they're looking at it just purely from, okay, we need, but we can't. The story is about the Skywalkers. We yeah. have to make it about the Skywalkers. Everyone's a Skywalker. That's such a great point. Um, <laughs> like there was like recently that they like Collider Video. They do these crash course videos. They'll take a topic and then they'll like explain it in more depth. Yeah. And one of the recent ones they did was about Luke, um, and explaining what he's been up to since Return of the Jedi, um, and like the introduction to that video was basically saying well force awakens introduced all these great new characters ray kylo ren finn poe mm -hmm. but every, we all know that the people that we really wanted to see and really care about is like luke and yeah <laughs> and no. <that> yourself <laughs> yeah i know right like i was like no actually he's an older yeah, man I think a lot of that plays into and we know this you know studies show this that women um because of you know precedent and storytelling for a long, long time, find it easier to identify with male characters through stories, but men find it harder to identify with female characters. Yes. So they can look at Ray and recognize, wow, that's a really well-written, strong female character, but how does she relate to Luke? Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. like he's my focus. So how is all this going to serve his journey in The Last Jedi? Because you kept us waiting and that's what we really want to see. Yeah. It's like, no, this is Ray's story and Luke will support that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and to put it in the simplest terms, obviously, Raylo is one of the biggest enemies to that, like, desire to see Ray continue the Skywalker line. Mm -hmm. Because, obviously, if Ray and Kylo are going to get together romantically, they can't be cousins. Because this well, is game. It's not Game of Thrones. <laughs> it's not Game of Thrones. Or Flowers in the Attic or I mean, any of those Cousins other, isn't like... necessarily bad throughout history in other countries. I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna say I support it, but I'm just saying that yeah, sure. it's it's not yeah. that just, it's not that horrible. That I, I read Flowers in the Attic when I was like um, I was under eleven and had a very formative experience on my life. Oh, oh no. <laughs> like um yeah, no, like, uh, I'm quite open about the fact after I saw Force Awakens, my initial belief was that Rey was, actually was Luke's daughter. Like, I just bought the dominant narrative because I could see stuff supporting that in the film. Obviously, I don't think that anymore. But at the time, I remember being really confused because while picking up on the Rey Skywalker stuff, I was also picking up on, like, the squicky sexual subtext. <laughs> I was thinking, like, what are they trying to do? Like, yeah. <laughs> Is it like trying to keep the bloodline pure? <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> oh, I was so confused. the Targaryens. Yeah. 
Uh, for me, I was like, I, I had always, um, in terms of like uh, the general public and people picking up on Rayla and stuff, like I went into the theater and I walked out thinking there is no way she can be Luke's daughter because that means that there's a, that's a second incest subplot they are pulling off in how many years and they need to, <laughs> I, I would not take my kids to see this if I had kids, right? So yeah. it was like, for me, it was, for me, I immediately picked up on that and I was just like, there's... I mean, you, we've talked about like the archetypal symbolism, and we've talked about the context within Raylo itself and the fandom too. But you also have to remember the context of Disney and what Disney does, oh, yeah. right? Like, Disney is expanding, so they're no longer like Rogue One was actually pretty dark, <laughs> um, not as dark as I would have liked it, but it wasn't um, like so. They're expanding; and it's no longer just like you know the Disney fight ending, right? It's or as a slur, um, but they still, you know, one of their audiences is still young children. Right. Which yeah. is why it's like, I don't think that they would have this blatant sort of, and maybe that's another reason why, like that I talked about, like, you know, taking out the, hey, the face touching from Kylo Ren. Right. You know, like, I don't think they would put like incest into a, a, a story that is still needs to be viewed by children, because can you imagine all the angry mothers afterwards, like <laughs> emailing them? Um, and the same goes for like the coding and in and and, and Rapido in, in in Raptus and like what Kylo is doing. Like you don't want to show that to like I hate sounding like a pearl clutcher and saying think of the children, mm-hmm. you know, but there's certain things you don't want to show to people under a certain age just because they might end up like me. So <laughs> <laughs> thoroughly corrupted and and, and and slightly unhinged. So so you have to so I, I and I think and Disney's got their brand to protect too, right? Yeah. Mm. You know, branding is, is is a big thing for them, and and rightly so. So, um, like I immediately I picked up. I mean, I didn't. I never thought they were they were related. And if they do end up being related, like if she ends up being Luke's daughter, you can be guaranteed I'm going to write another meta on on all the pieces of incest that they have given us. <laughs> Just to drive home the it's point, and it's so the, funny the, the, that people fetish going on there. Um, yeah. just so you know, so I I would be writing that. Like I I hope that's I hope they're not doing no. that subplot. Um, I I have and... seen people suggest that they're doing incest again as part of the ring. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, it comes up every time, and it's so ridiculous because obviously incest was not a planned thing. It was just a problem with the story not being written while they were. Making it. Yeah. Uh, like coming back to what Natasha said about the divine child archetype, you can see that in the supplementary material that we've had come out since The Force Awakens, like especially with Empire's End. I don't yeah. know if you guys have had a chance to read it yet, but mm. there's such an emphasis on Han and Leia having this perfect angel baby boy, you know? Yeah. So the mystery is what happened there. Like that is the backstory here. Uh-huh. It's not about how Luke lost Ray and mm-hmm. how she's come back into his life. Like, it's the fact that Ray's animus, as we talked about, is this, you know, fallen angel archetype, mm-hmm. right? Like, that's that's Kylo Ren slash Ben Solo, and that's going to be the story that is divulged, and that connects with what Luke's been doing over the past 30 years, because he was with him yeah. when all of this went down. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the tragedy in Luke's past, the tragedy in Hannah Leia's past, is not that they lost Ray, it's yeah. what happened to their child and yeah. mm-hmm. a nephew. So. And it's so interesting to see people, like, constantly try to reject that or refute that. Like, um, some of the people who I see, like, who hate Carter and the most seem to be the people who love Hannah and Leia the most. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting to me to see that kind of tension. 
because obviously Kylo Ren, he was he was Ben Solo, and there's all this emphasis on how much they love their child and how they want to do anything for their child. Like, but obviously the people in the audience are coming in from an extremely different angle from the characters <laughs> in yeah. the text. Mm-hmm. So, like, whereas parents obviously have unconditional love for their child, people viewing these films, they do not have unconditional no. love for the <laughs> person who kills Han Solo. Yeah, like, right. To them, the fact that he's Han Solo's son, that only makes it worse because it makes it a more reprehensible crime. Yeah. And so then that intense dislike and resentment of Kylo Ren, they make it more urgent that Rey has to be a Skywalker. And they also make the mere prospect of Raylo that much more reprehensible. Yeah. Yeah, which I think makes sense based on where we come into Kylo's arc because we don't have the full story yet. But I think people just need to be patient and Mm -hmm. know that we will be getting there. We've had comments from Adam Driver about how there will be his humanity in episode eight. Yeah. And that completely makes sense for the arc that they're, they're trying to tell here through the character, right? Um, because you have the monster, he's called the monster and the creature in a mask by Ray, And then now the mask has come off, she's going to see more of the person and we will through her interactions with him. Yeah. Like it, it, it's all unfolding in a, in a very clear way if you, if you interpret the story similar to like what we've been saying, like is the narrative here between monster and maiden, like mm-hmm. those archetypes. That's what makes sense. Um, but people keep trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, a, that's a polite way of putting it. So like one thing I was wondering in particular was do we kind of like think that there's anything the films could have done to make Raylo clearer for people or to take away some of the ambiguity we've seen so much of? Like, would we almost be relieved if like there were less of a debate surrounding this? So, for example, if they'd like given like called Ray Ray Smith, like firmly established that her parents were Jane and John Smith <laughs> and that they were like gas miners from Cloud City <laughs> yeah. and that they just had like a drunken night out and like left their child behind but like Ray still hopes they can come back for her because she doesn't want to believe the worst in her parents yeah. like do you kind of like obviously not with that really lame and stupid backstory no that's great do you kind of wish they'd made things like more precise in like areas like Raylo and areas like Ray's parentage like to avoid all of the angst and drama we've seen since uh yeah I think the mystery box was built very very tight and weird and wrong and it definitely made it more difficult for us to have these conversations right because we're literally quoting the book the script everything that we can possibly pull to try and validate our reading of it when there's so much there you know we've we've talked about the fact that they left out the compassion line which they filmed according to pablo and in which snoke says you have compassion for her and Kylo says, no, you know, um, but, you know, he's he's called out on having compassion for her. And people have kind of glossed over that because obviously they're like, if it's not in the film, it's not canon. Um, although for, I think it, it truly is. Um, there's the um, in the force back itself. They had the vision and Bespin starts out with Ray looking down the hallway and seeing a younger, different version of Snoke standing with a young, presumably Ben Solo. And this would kind of tie in the idea that, you know, maybe 
you know, not only is she seeing the vulnerability of this child that was, you know, cursed by the attention that Snoke put on it, um, put on him, but also that, you know, he might have had a vision of her at that time in his life, which would, again, kind of seal this kind of, like, connection and intimacy that's there. Um, mm. I And then I, I, I have another one that I love, but I, nobody, you know, nobody really talks about. But in the novelization, uh, one of the last things that Leia says to Rey is she's wishing her goodbye, which was completely cut from the film. They really don't have any dialogue between each other when she's leaving for um, for is uh, Leia says, um, you won't share the fate of our son um, mm. in response to Ray saying, you're afraid that I'm going to fall to the dark side as well. And I feel like that's intense, you know, intense foreshadowing again for this relationship that is such a huge part of it. But of course, it's, it's, it's been very um, underplayed within the marketing. It's been underplayed within the, um, within the general fandom. Um, mm. And I think it makes sense because I think this is the true twist, right? Like how, how can this be, how can this progress? How this, how can this become bigger than it is? Um, and mm. I think that it makes sense that they want to keep people from talking about it or assuming it because I think, yeah, it's going to be that much more interesting and exciting if people don't have any clue what's going to happen, you know? Yeah. That's a really good like thing to call out. Um, that exchange between Leia and, um, Ray. Now you mentioned it actually makes me think that that's actually quite <laughs> an interesting parallel potentially. Yeah. With um, <laughs> like say so you obviously have by the grace of your training, I will not be seduced. Exactly. <laughs> by the yeah. and then we shall see. We shall, we shall see. see. <laughs> and, the uh, and yeah, so you have this um, like character who's obviously cocky and convinced that they're confident in their respective sides. So Kylo's confident that he's dead set and embedded in the dark side and we learn that that's a complete lie and he's clearly not yeah um he's a complete emotional mess by the end of the film and like ray in that exchange with leia she's clearly confident no no i'm not going to fall like um your son did um mm -hmm. and i think if anything indicates that she actually will fall or at the very least be sorely tempted mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like that yeah. parallel does <laughs> so mm -hmm. yeah. yes um for me it's like uh, I've already talked about the fact that I'm glad that the, the dynamic between Kylo Ren and Rey was dialed back a bit, um, partially because I prefer a little bit of mystery myself, um, but also because the subtext would have been uh, very different if it hadn't been dialed back. That said, I do wish, I wish the Rey's parentage had been handled differently mm. um, because it's like, uh, and that, you know, it's already been expanded upon multiple times and in, in various different ways. But so there's this mystery box about Ray's parentage, and I feel like this quest to find out, you know, who knocked up who, and and who who who's Ray's parents are, and who's the baby mama, like basically all that sort of stuff, right? Like uh, the the question of. The question of Ray's parentage is is almost superseding the rest of the, the plot, right? Yeah. To the point where it's it's detracting from the story and the enjoyment of the story. Um, and so, so let's say, for example, Ray's parents, like it turns out to be something really, really pivotal. Like there was a rumor going around months and months ago that she was actually um, an offspring of Palpatine, right? Like um, through one of, through a consort or something like that, like some sort of theory, right? Like, mm -hmm. so if, like, let's say for example, if there was really some sort of hook to her parentage, um, I can see, uh, I can see her being really 
I can see being really interesting, but like, what if she turns out to be a nobody? Like, what if there's no mystery? What if it's never answered? You're going to have so many upset, angry people uh, on both sides who are like, well, what did I spend all this time theorizing about? Like, you know, why all this mystery for nothing, right? Like, yeah. why just not come out and say it? I, I sort of feel like the mystery box was built up wrong and correctly, as, as Nat says. And I sort of feel like this is like a, a little bit of a... Uh, you know, proverbial ticking time bomb in in terms of the fact that oh, yeah. like I think the producer, I think the people, the creative team behind it knows that there's this potential for some huge backlash mm-hmm. in relation to Ray's parentage if it's not played out correctly, which is why you see all these these leaks and all these like the, the them dropping all this sort of information through proxies, you know, through like Pablo or through JJ or through Daisy herself, right? Like just yeah. to kill off some of these theories because the thing is there's always going to be outrage, but if it comes all at once, it's going to be a it's going to be a nightmare to deal with. Yeah. So I, I feel that that Ray's parentage especially could have been handled differently. And I'm a little, I'm a little bit apprehensive about that and, and, and what's going to happen once it actually drops. Yeah. 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 It makes me wonder if they really, if they kind of used the possibility of her being as a Skywalker as like, they weren't quite confident enough in what they were doing with this heroine that it was, they kind of wanted to sell her as a potential Skywalker so that you'll be more attached to her as a character, which is really mm. quite sad because she's amazing on her own. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it might make it so much worse in the end. Yeah. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, think I definitely it... think that's a very plausible reason for it because I'm quite cynical when it comes to things like this. And like I reckon there was a lot of trepidation about how are people going to respond to these new characters? Are they going to like them on their own terms? Or like are we going to need to use these like original trilogy elements as a crutch? Mm-hmm. And I really think the response to The Force Awakens has proven to them that no, you can be confident in your, in your new characters. People will love them. Like, and people are invested in their stories now. So yeah. I yeah. like to think it's going to make them more bolder in the future. And I also think that's probably part of the reason why, say, Pablo has this seemingly free license to constantly <laughs> shit on, like, Ray Solo and Ray Skywalker. <laughs> Twitter like do you know what I mean because like there's clearly got to be some kind of agreement in place I I don't mean like a formal contract (laughs) Pablo you can write about this this and this and this and this on on Twitter but like if it were happening like I just don't see him even acknowledging it yeah like Mm. or even engaging in that conversation yeah, like he just seems to be full on snark mode. Like, and sometimes he'll, it seems like he'll actively seek conversations out, say, oh, lol, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, do, do you know what I mean, though? And yes. Yeah, like, I, I really do just think that they're being like, no, we need to try and steer people like back on the straight and true path. Like, and obviously, all this stuff is directed at hardcore fans. Yeah. Casual fans, they're. Like they, I, I do think a lot of casual fans think she's a Skywalker, but they're not going to be in like paroxysms of grief and agony <laughs> when they grief and agony. <laughs> yeah, I like, think most casual fans thought that she was a Skywalker, but not because it was the most exciting option, but because it just made sense to them on a superficial level. Like, mm-hmm. oh, well, she's really powerful, so yeah. she has to be Luke's kid, and she's looking for a family, and he's right there. But they. I feel like they would be pleasantly surprised if she wasn't because it would make the story more exciting to them. They, you know, they don't want to have figured it all out. Yeah. yeah. I literally have a casual friend, like a casual Star Wars fan friend, like who said that she hopes Ray isn't Luke's daughter because it would be boring. It <laughs> and would it's be. like, yes, it would be, wouldn't it? <laughs> 
Well, because it, it wraps up all of the tension. It's like, okay, well, we have our good Skywalker now. We don't kill the spare. You know, like <laughs> yeah. Kylo Ren is no longer necessary. And I know, you know, so the the argument against Raylo often hinges on the idea that we're trying to make Kylo Ren more important than he is. This is Han and Leia's son. He's important yeah. regardless. Yeah. Even if she was a Skywalker, the conflict would still be, you know, the conflict of the legacy children. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't find that compelling, but he would still he would still be Han and Leia's only son, mm-hmm. yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, it's kind of a straight, like, there's this weird idea that, like, if you if you have, a you know, a, a liking for Kylo Ren as a character, you're somehow kind of trying to warp the narrative to make him more important than he is, but he is important. He is. Mm, yeah. Sure. It's not about condoning his behavior. No. <laughs> yeah. No, no absolutely. Uh, <coughs> um, right. Have we said what we want to say on that aspect of things? Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Um, right, then we're going to get into the final part of this discussion. And that is going to be on the future of Raylo. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, right, okay. So obviously while Raylo is very popular and it's infamous on <laughs> hardcore fan forums, it, like, I think it's still safe to say that Raylo's like a bit of an unknown quantity like to the general public. Like, if, if you went up to like a grandma mm-hmm. in the street, like she might know who Darth Vader is, but she'd go, what? <laughs> if you tried to talk about Raylo to her, you know, she wouldn't know what yeah. you um, um, Like, and basically one thing I was wondering is, do you think that things like the whole like Instagram thing where Judy Tench asked um, Daisy, what's the deal with Raylo? Do you think those are like conscious attempts to actually enter this into the mainstream dialogue? Because that's the kind of thing that goes viral, you know? So that is not going to be limited to an audience of hardcore Star Wars fans on forums. Mm-hmm. Like it's going to go out there to just general people who like Star Wars and are interested. Um, and I'm sure to quite a few of the people watching that video, they did not know what Raylo was, was before <laughs> they saw it. Um, so yeah, like I, I was just wondering, do you think that there's like an agenda behind that, or do you think it was just like Daisy having fun? <laughs> uh, I think it's a little bit of both. I really do mm-hmm. think that she had prerogative in there, and obviously she was the one kind of feeding. And maybe I, I believe Josh Gad would be a, a Star Wars fan, so I'm sure yeah. that he had he had a kind of a viewpoint and on that stuff but outside you don't really see discussion of Raylo outside of kind of the more niche fan circles so having it having her bringing it up not just in this but also within you know the context of the podcast that she was on and she's liked fan art on it uh, of it um, I feel like she's kind of poised as the person that's kind of you know she's she's going to have to deal with the fallout of it if it happens right She's going to have to deal with, because um, it, it's it's just the day and age that we live in, uh, Twitter is, you know, puts the creators and the actors really up close and centered with their fans. And so I think there is some merit to the idea that they might be seeding this so that people are more familiarized and comfortable with the topic so that when they actually Google it or look it up on Twitter, and if I don't, I don't know if you've looked up the Raylo hashtag on Twitter recently, but it's still, a, you know, <laughs> it's still pretty, it's still pretty awful. It, it, is it like Mos Eisley? You should never go there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, the hive of scum and villainy. Um, it's mostly just because people are, 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 you know, the, the social media runs on outrage. We know this. They like 
to be offended or to be upset by something. And if you, on the surface level, see Raylo fan art and you're like, are they really like trying to like force Ray to be with this villainous character that she doesn't like and she hates? Of course, you're gonna your first thought's gonna be like, oh yeah, they're disgusting because they're they just don't care about Ray's agency or Ray's, you know, wants or needs, and they're just you know because they look good together, they want them to you know whatever um <laughs> so you know if that's PG, your PG-13. exactly and it's it's really not that especially if coming from it from a you know like a, a curative canon fandom kind of viewpoint it's definitely not that and we've obviously had a long long talk about how it's not that but on the surface you know you do have to deal with those kind of in the middle fans that might not really know star wars very well but kind of got into star wars through the force awakens and then kind of are, are following what's going on in that um, in that uh, kind of social media sphere. And as we've seen, it's a very, you know, major news organizations are picking up Star Wars stories all the time, uh, or Star Wars news, like, like leak stories all the time, because it's such a, it's such a universal topic. It's such a huge franchise. I mean, it's the, the biggest in the world. So, you know, having people be aware of kind of the subtle, even though people are calling it crack theories on it, um, <laughs> is a good thing. And I think it's it's nice to see that they're they're doing that. I just um I, I think too, when we, we look at the fact that for publicity for The Force Awakens and even for sort of like for um stuff that's been coming out now, there's like a really weird void of silence on Kylo and Ray, right? Mm. Is it just me or does it seem like a lot of the time that people just completely gloss over that subject entirely oh yeah the, absolutely the professionals yeah, yeah i think they do like for an interesting thing i noticed was so when i first dropped my metas right like um so they got a lot of traction and they were being posted on reddit constantly um with yeah. nasty notes attached <laughs> uh so so they were so my stuff was making the rounds right and it even made it into the atlantic eventually right um, and normally when crazy fan theories start popping up, uh, Pablo is always there to <laughs> literally shoot down the theory in question and tell the person they're an idiot. Um, uh, but there was like, there's been like kind of silence on it. Um, and it's not to say that I'm not to say that they're reading this theory in particular or my work in particular, right? It's just this idea of like if your theory is 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 crazy uh they let you know right like yeah. they, we saw that with 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 the ray with solo the ray so solo and some of the snoke theories Jin um, is Mara Jin. and yeah and, and so it gets kind of and, it, and if you're dealing with pablo in particular it can get really snarky and a little bit nasty too so um so i find it very interesting that there's no that there is that kind of void of silence uh, where they're just kind of zipping their lips and not saying much um, and it makes me wonder what's up, you know, get out the tinfoil. Yeah. yeah. No, I find um, the silence is often, like, more interesting than what's actually said. Mm-hmm. And, like, just beyond, like, any conspiracy, I do find it very interesting how, like, mainstream reviews, like, obviously, we've got the famous Fermatic Sonata. <laughs> well, I'm sorry for horribly butchering that. Um, so we have that. But, like, I think for the most part, most of the reviews don't really touch upon it. Like, mm. they talk about Ray and Kylo as these separate entities. And you could easily read, the, I think, the majority of Force Awakens reviews without realising that these characters even meet. Like, yeah. at the time. Or at least that without realising that they 
have interactions other than trying to hit each other with lightsabers. You know, like I yeah. think people find stuff like the interrogation, the abduction, they find it very curious, but they don't know why and they don't know what to make of it. So they, like, I just sense like a discomfort with it almost. Yeah. Like there's a great, <laughs> like, sorry to go back to the Collider again. But Collider Movie Talk, they did um, a commentary for The Force Awakens. And it's not just an audio commentary. It's they actually filmed the guys who were recording the commentary. And these are all very stereotypical, like, white male nerds. Yeah. Uh, I've like, seen them. <laughs> I, 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 sorry, like, I don't mean to say no, it's okay. not appropriate. It's not. Um, like, they're all good guys, like, and I enjoy watching them. But it's very interesting to watch them as they're watching stuff like The Abduction and as they're watching The Interrogation. <laughs> And you can see them like searching like for other things to talk about because <laughs> they're like I don't understand. It's like oh, elevator yeah. music's playing. <laughs> this is the thing like so much of the emphasis if, even if you are someone who believes that Ray and Kylo Ren are related the emphasis is then all on Ray and her future relationship with Luke mm-hmm. as opposed to with her antagonist because no one can get excited about the idea of these cousins battling it out. No. Like, because it's just not, that's not a thing. Like, that's not a trope. Mm-mm. Like, cousins who didn't grow up together, so weren't really, really close and then grew apart. It's the other way around. We have this idea of, like, Kylo sensing that their destinies are intertwined. Like, that's the future that these people came across each other, were complete strangers, mm-hmm. but somehow have this connection. And what's that going to mean for the future? That's not family. That's future. Like, yeah, it's the opposite. Yeah, and in um. relation to the J.D. Dench video, in terms of, like, if they're trying to introduce the general public to the to the idea of it, I think they're trying to mitigate damage again, right? Like, I think this part has to do with them, uh, with the actual tying in of the, you know, was the mystery box too much of a mystery, right? But I think there was this, like, they're dealing with, there's this thing within writing communities, um, and I include myself in this, that where you start writing and then you write for other writers um, and you get really, really meta and you get <laughs> with all this like sort of subtext and layers of subtext and archetypes behind it. And other writers pick up on that. But the general audience might not necessarily pick up on it in the same way. And they might react to it um, negatively before waiting to see the whole story play out. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've seen this with Raylo, but it's also the general culture of, of fandom these days, too. Like you, everyone wants everything up front and they want it so that it is, you know, as unproblematic or as, as non-gray area as possible. They want a very, very clean narrative. Like, it's, it's, a, it's a big trend. Um, and I think that, I, th- I think in some ways, like, I'm, this, this is me wildly speculating now. So we've entered that territory. <laughs> but, like, I, 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 when, I, when I look at all these, all these like, quote-unquote leaks and the Judy Dench video and all this other sort of stuff, I sort of feel like it's them trying to ease people into something um, and that they hadn't really planned to ease people into. Like, they hadn't expected to see this sort of reaction to it or this strongly. So they're like, you know, okay, how do we still keep our narrative while, you know, making sure it doesn't hurt the brand or anything else? Like, how can we just, like, give it in tidbits, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I feel that they're, that that influences a lot of what they're doing and a lot of videos that they're doing and and who drops what information. Yeah, and the fact that they have to, they feel they have to do that now does concern me a little because 
it's almost it almost makes me wonder if JJ Abrams knew what he was doing when he decided to have Kylo Ren kill Han Solo. Because mm. they must I I figured that they must have known what the fandom would think of that. Yeah. That mm-hmm. you know, for two years people would hate this character and not understand why that happened like because they kind of even though his regret and his conflict is in the film it's it's you can take it or leave it like you don't have to see it if you don't want to and lots of fans don't yeah Mm -hmm. um so it it makes me wonder do they have a plan in place to like really lay it on thick that this guy does have humanity and a reason to be the way he is Um, I, i think they absolutely do so i think with stuff like removing that whole like vision of like little Ben Solo with Snoke and removing the compassion dialogue, I think I don't think that was removed to be scrapped entirely. I think it was removed because they're going to do those things in the Last Jedi. Yeah. Okay. Because if you think about it, like that compassion dialogue, I think it would make much more sense to be have Snoke say something along those lines in reprimand to Kylo at the start of the Last Jedi, mm. because then. Like, it's very, very clear how severe and great the consequences of Kyla's compassion for Rey have been. Yeah. Because, obviously, the whole Starkiller base went kaput. And I think, like, him picking up on that there, like, that just makes more sense. And then also creates, like, a really strong foundation for that character and, like, his journey over the course of the film. Because, presumably, he's going to be punished for feeling this compassion. And then that's going to put him on this negative trajectory in terms of Ray. But like, well, I need to purge her. Like, I, it, killing my father wasn't enough, but maybe killing her will be. Mm-hmm. So I think they might be doing that kind of thing. Um, yeah, that's what I was hoping for and imagining. But then, then you have these kind of almost damage control situations, and it's like, I don't know. I just kind of got this vibe sometimes, like from the commentary, the way JJ was talking about Kylo. So I was like, well, people have told me that they <laughs> totally misinterpreted the scene, so I need to set the record straight. <laughs> In the commentary that no one's listening to because they didn't buy the second version. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I definitely think that's like a severe problem because I think by waiting until The Last Jedi to really humanize this character and help us understand him, like they almost like sucked that out of the force awakens and so for many people viewing the force awakens he is just left as this like cold monster who kills his father like obviously we'd probably disagree with that because we think there's lots of complexities and like emotional layers to that character yeah but for some people he is just straightforwardly evil in that movie and that's why you have misconceptions that like jj was trying to address so i do think they're conscious that they might have gone too far like in holding back these reveals for the last Jedi, mm. because I really think that's going to be like the the twist as such. Like it's going to be like about Kylo's nature, yeah. Like to a great extent, I do think there's also going to be twists and turns concerning Rey and her history. But I think they wanted people to come in with this expectation that Kylo is going to be evil, and to some extent even leave the Force Awakens with that conviction, only to upturn that and really challenge that and explore that in The Last Jedi mm-hmm. yeah I agree, I agree completely mm. um, right so <laughs> um, I'm probably going to move on to one of the more interesting questions mm-hmm. here which is what are our personal feelings on the channel <laughs> in air quotes Raylo going forward um, and what form of can- canon do you realistically expect because the thing is there's different like levels of Raylo or magnitudes of Raylo. Yeah. <laughs> I 
it. So, like, by far the most optimistic fanciful end, you probably have Rain, Kylo, and Married, and they have three children, Sam, Joe, Bill, and Betty, and they have a lovely little house with a white picket fence and a dog called Spot. Um, And then... (laughs) And then, like, that goes down to, like, weaker forms of Raylo. Like, until you probably reach... Uh, they're still, like, a bit bitter at each other, and there's still that negative history. But they're, like, reluctant allies, so they, like, get along because circumstances force mm-hmm. them to. So, mm-hmm. basically, it's not like saying canon Raylo means, like, white picket fence scenario. <laughs> Although that would be hilarious. <laughs> it would have got <laughs> so many people. Yeah. <laughs> Episode 9. Uh, <laughs> Just imagine it in the opening. Um, Yeah, so basically, guys, what are our personal feelings on this? This isn't like about making promises as such. It's Mm -hmm. like, so based on what we saw in the films, Mm -hmm. and potentially if we do that kind of thing, what we have read about where things might be going in The Last Jedi, what Mm -hmm. do we think about the future prospects? Mm -hmm. Who wants to go first? Uh, Nat, you can go first. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well, um, feeding back into what we were, we were talking about a little bit earlier with um, the humanization of Kylo, which Adam has made really clear, I think that the win and we do have, should I, this is spoiler friendly, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, um, spoiler warning, guys. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> um, spoiler wise, we know that we're going to get an extended version of the Force back, uh, at least a bigger perspective on it, especially around what happened at Luke's temple. And right now they've, they've just completely skirted that whole thing and try to, you know, like they glossed over it. They've never really addressed it fully. You know, um, Kylo is the Jedi killer, but you know, was it a massacre? Was there other circumstances involved? Um, Cause everybody kind of assumes that he's Anakin 2.0 and that he, you know, killed a bunch of younglings, which would be, you know, that's pretty irredeemable. I don't, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. maybe after it makes sense at the end of his life and he dies for it, but that's just something that would never fly. Um, so this is there obviously has to be a twist around that that makes it so that he is a sympathetic or empathetic character, um, not only to the audience but to Ray. Um, Ray needs and Ray has is poised to have the best understanding of that because if she can access his most intimate th- intimate thoughts through a force connection or through you know that then she can see the truth he doesn't have to try and convince her of that or tell her that which means that she has she's poised as the one person that understands what he went through or what happened and um also you know whatever happened with luke during that time as well you know getting that view on this mentor figure that i don't think that she's going to you know implicitly trust luke or and there there has to be a conflict with luke at some point she can't just we can't just be all like happy you know I'm going to, you know, learn from you and we're going to go off and fight together and it's going to have to be a lot more interesting relationship. And part of that will be paved with, the, you know, that history of why Ben Solo fell and how the Jedi Academy or whatever it's called fell. So, yeah, there's there's a huge thing around that. And I think that once that is 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 tackled within the narrative, it will put them in a position where they can be either allies or in which the audience accepts, like, if even if Kylo stays on, you know, the dark side, for example, um, he'll still, our understanding of him will still make it clear that 
if he does decide to do something kind of heroic, like, you know, sacrifice himself and, you know, not, not like literally, but like metaphorically for Ray, then we will, you know, feel a lot more of that kind of, you know, that poignancy that is needed for that relationship to actually move forward into something, you know, truly epic. So, yeah, I don't expect it to be easy and I don't expect it to be very romantic per se. Um, but I do expect it to have a lot of this kind of the romantic tension of, of just kind of fighting against all the odds that are against you, um, to make it happen. Um, for me, it's like, uh, well, I mean, my, my essay, like the death in the maiden, and how Rayla will be canon, but not in the way you're hoping. <laughs> like I, I put it in the title and people seem to have conveniently ignored that. Um, and basically, so we already know that I'm a very cautious speculator, um, or theorist, and I tend to base things solely on what I see in the text. This doesn't mean that my opinion on, on how Rayla will play out later will, 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 will remain the same. Like I'm fully expecting that once, um, we see episode eight, like once, once I see the, la the, the last Jedi, my opinion on this is going to change, right? Like it's cause I'll have new information. It might even change before that, depending on what we get in the trailers. Um, uh, but the at the moment, um, I think, like I, I personally believe that we are. I personally think that we already have Raylo. It's just not the way that people want it to be, or or really look at it. Because the fact that there's interest there, one-sided interest from Kylo towards Ray, that that's already in in TFA. That's already there. Um, the subtext yeah. is already there, uh, and I think that there is going to be a really interesting dynamic between the between the two of them, especially in Episode Eight and and, and maybe in Nine on what happens in eight. Uh, and I think it's going to be really complex. I, like Nat said, I don't necessarily think it's going to be romantic. Um, and I do think we are, I think there's a lot of evidence to put towards the idea that there's going to be one-sided Raylo. Um, and, and how that manifests, like how Ray's behavior towards Kylo manifests in eight remains to be seen, right? Because we have to remember that when TFA left off, like, yes, it goes with, she, the movie ends with Luke, right? But before that, like, she she just tried to kill him, right? Like, there's, yeah. and for, with, good, with good reason. Like, he had, he had basically kidnapped her, you know, kept her restrained, tortured her friend, her first friend. Finn is super important to her, and killed her pseudo-father figure. Like, he's done... He's done some pretty terrible stuff, and she is not going to feel very charitable towards him, you know, <laughs> to say, to put it bluntly. Like, yeah. it's just like, he is definitely interested in her. Um, I think he's very confused about her. I think that there is going to be, especially when you talk about the mysterious connection to the Force, I think that's going to confuse both of them. So I think that there is, he's definitely interested in her, but she is is to she's 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 definitely not romantically interested in him right now and i don't think she is and i and i think that that they're gonna have to do some build-up towards there oh, yeah. being anything that's even remotely mutual in the way that people want it to um at the same time i don't think rayla will be in the same way that detractors think it will be with her being sublimated to a, a powerful man right and losing her agency like i don't think that's going to happen either like if Ray gets involved with Kylo, whatever that involvement might be, I think it's going to be her choice. Like I think she's yeah. going to. There's this talk we talk 
briefly about the, you know, being tempted by the dark side. Um, and all of us have mentioned it before. And I think that she's going to, like, if she decides to get involved in Kylo, with Kylo, it is going to be her choice. She's going to subvert the trope, right? Um, and, and that, for me, that's what's really important. Whether Ray is, whether it's mutual, whether, you know, it ends with, with that white picket fence, whatever the narrative is, I want the agency of both Ray and Kylo Ren to be respected, right? Like, mm-hmm. I want to make sure that this is, that that's central to the plot, because that's a good message to be sending. That is an important message to be sending, especially with the, with, especially with the, the themes of, of Star Wars. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really like, sensible and logical position to take on it. Um, I, I, I definitely don't like, think there's going to be like white picket fence, Raylo, but because as we've established, I'm not as cautious as you are. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I'm probably more inclined to believe they are going to go towards like a romance, mm-hmm. like, like or, or at least like make overtures to in that direction. Um, like I think one of the main reasons is like there was an interesting quote from Ryan Johnson when he, I think he's been interviewed by USA Today or another one of those like magazines. They were doing like a preview of 2017 movies. Mm-hmm. And um, Johnson like compared like what Ray goes through in The Last Jedi to adolescence. Mm-hmm. So like this process of like obviously leaving like the innocence and like like the happiness of childhood behind and like entering this more like complicated and like adult territory. Um, and while that obviously doesn't necessitate romance or mean romance has to happen, I do think it's interesting that you're going to have this scenario where there's going to be these two central male figures in Ray's part of the story and they're going to be Luke who's obviously like the older mentor figure mm-hmm. and then there's going to be Kylo Ren like who like embodies rebellion mm-hmm. like in mm-hmm. so many different ways <laughs> like like I, I, oh god I almost hate to say this because one of the things that Raylo gets criticised for is for like being like this tweeny like <laughs> YA fantasy um, but like he is like a bad boy <laughs> <laughs> like in many ways you know like yeah. dark brooding handsome like and like it looks like he's going to throw a spanner in the works he's going to also, be also apparently a, a warlord he is also a warlord with that hair a, so... vulnerable, a vulnerable warlord <laughs> I and mean, that's literally from the databank oh my god yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> it, it's not subtle and like, like, even when you look at things like their freaking Spotify playlist. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Oh, that, that playlist. Oh. There's <laughs> so much teenage angst and pioneering. And, oh, oh, God. That's a, that's a kind way of putting it. <laughs> yeah. It, it makes sense, though, because, I mean, again, the hero's journey, heroine's journey, they're about becoming, going from being a child to being an adult. And yeah. these people have been stunted, like, emotionally and, like, developmentally um, mm-hmm. by the circumstances in their lives. Ray, by being stuck on an, a horrible planet for a decade, and, um, you know, uh, Kylo because of everything that happened around him. So, like, they're fine. They're figuring it out. And the people that should be their mentors, you kind of feel like they never really got the chance to really fully realize themselves either. I mean, not to be, yeah. like, you know... About I it, agree but... with that. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's true. And I think, like, obviously, it's also very important to remember the relationship between Luke and Kylo Ren and all of this. Because Kylo Ren clearly has a serious beef with Luke. We don't understand what that is or why that yeah. is. But, like, obviously, Kylo and Rey are going to share this connection. 
and so I can like again like leaping several steps forward and extrapolating wildly so don't take me too seriously <laughs> but I could see a scenario where Kylo Ren undermines Rey's faith in Luke yeah and then presents his way and like Kylo Ren himself I, like as an alternative to that I, and I totally a desirable alternative yeah I think he would I, I totally think he would do that because it's like you see the way that he reacts to another interesting thing. We didn't really touch on it too much is the way that Kylo reacts to the other men in Ray's life. Yeah. Um, and he just gets, just gets increasingly more aggravated, right? Like he's, he reacts really negatively to Finn. Like there's that whole traitor thing, right? Yeah. Um, and that's still confusing. So for me, I'm from multiple different levels. So I'll put, put that aside for now, but like, you know, he gets even more agitated when he finds out she's getting chummy with his dad. Right. Like, yeah. So, so, so the fact that she's going to now get now, what looks like she's going to be like, you know, like Luke's, Luke's pupil, right? Like it's, like I can just see him like you know flipping out completely, right? Yeah. Like here's here is she going through all the other men and all the men that he's rejected, right? <laughs> going like, through them, all no. <laughs> well, it's it's sort of like he's already been through it, so he has experience, yeah. and he can he's obviously felt failed by it, you know. So like yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so I see it in like a perverse way, like when he says he would have disappointed you. That's almost like an effort to like insulates her from like that disappointment mm -hmm. and like prepare her for it like so in Kylo Ren's mind like irrespective of the circumstances he probably thinks he's doing her a favor and giving her sound advice yeah it's, it's, that it's such an experience it's such an it's just such a, like a, a quote-unquote nice nice guy thing to do because he here he is he thinks he's doing like he thinks she's his guest she thinks yeah he's, He's doing her favors. He's protecting her, yeah. and she's like, she's basically like, "Fuck off." Yeah. So it's like, it's it's such a it's such a privileged little shit thing to do. <laughs> yeah, and like I'm like you. I think that absolutely, if romantic Fredo is to happen, like it can't happen like in circumstances where there's coercion. Yeah, where right. Ray's being like deceived or misled in some way. Yeah, like, mm -hmm. if Kylo Ren makes arguments to her about why Luke did something bad and why she shouldn't trust Luke and why she should trust him instead. They need to be damn good reasons. Exactly, they need to be reasons why we could understand why she'd believe him, especially considering the history she's had with Kylo Ren. In like the arguments against Raylo, you get the impression that the people who ship Raylo, they. Like they don't give a damn like about how it plays out. They all they want in this is just for Ray to swoon into Kylo's uh. musty, beautiful arms, um, and <laughs> be swept away by him, so they can like live in a Sith castle and he can become emperor and like do evil shit. Um, we take you back to Mustafa. Ray's development as a character, like what is her antagonist going to offer her that her mentors wouldn't or couldn't like? Yeah. You know, he, exactly. he is so connected to Luke for a reason. Yeah. yeah. No, totally. Um, and while that stuff is fine for fan fiction and entertaining <laughs> fan fiction, I don't think any Raylo shippers realistically expect or want anything like that to happen. Like realistically, said, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> You'll find out in a second. <laughs> Once that's a different story. Uh, right. Uh, just to move things on, what what are your thoughts, um, Kirsty, on this? What's your position? Oh, in terms of like Raylo in the Last Jedi. Yeah, like your level of optimism for chances <laughs> in canon and the form of canon that you perceive. Well, I do think that Raylo plays into the potential larger themes of the sequel trilogy, like the idea of somehow balancing the Force and moving beyond Jedi and Sith. 
Um, so I, I see a lot of that talk going on right now in fandom um, like in terms of what Kylo and Rey's dynamic could be, but it's still kind of divorced from the notion of romantic Raylo, whereas in the Raylo community, we've been talking about those ideas of balance and Jedi and Sith for a long time and this connection through the Force that they seem to have. Yeah. Um, but I don't think it's going to be a, like a simple romance or explicit confirmation of that in the last jedi like i don't think there's going to be a kiss between them or anything i know yeah. that some shippers are no. expecting to see that um you don't think Kylo's going to turn up knock politely on the door of the hut and like take off his cap and say um um uncle luke could i take ray out for dinner now <laughs> no, <laughs> no i don't really see that <laughs> there's comics that have that and it's just great to see <laughs> i do think that kylo because i i do think that shy is right like one-sided Raylo is canon as far as I'm concerned in like The Force Awakens. I know we've talked about a lot of it being yeah. subtext, but I still think it's like Kylo has feelings for her, but he's not quite aware of what that means yet. And Snoke's going to call him out on it and then he's going to try and double down on, oh, no, she is my enemy and I am a dark sider and I'm a badass, you know? Like, yeah. Um, so I feel like in The Last Jedi, we'll see Kylo's feelings become more obvious, like so obvious that the audience will be able to see them like beyond yeah. Raylo shippers. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, but I think Ray's going to come to sympathize with him and kind of be conflicted about her own experience of light and dark and how that relates to Kylo. But I don't think she's there's it's not going to be like explicitly mutual. Like there's just too much story left to tell there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it could be one sided up until like towards the end of episode nine um, when it really comes down to the wire and maybe Kylo sacrifices himself for Ray. But oh, they're going to that idea. Yeah, yeah, I feel like they're going to steer clear of anything that harkens back too much to Annie Dala for obvious mm-hmm. reasons. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Even though they, you know, I know a lot of people say, "Oh, Disney pretend, want to pretend the prequels didn't happen." I don't think I don't think that's true. They do still market Anakin and Padme's relationship as very much a star-crossed lovers romanticized thing. It's not like, oh, once he became Vader, like that's it. Like, yeah. I know a, a lot of the fandom. Uh, focuses on the problematic aspects of Anakin and Padme's relationship and some people do say it's abusive and all that but um, that's not how the creators themselves see it Mm -mm. if they're still marketing it as a star-crossed story you know Um, so I think there might be elements of that in terms of this mysterious connection through the force and it's very like ethereal like romantic with a capital R between Rey and Kylo, but I think it's going to be more nuanced than what we saw in Attack of the Clones. Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully. No floating like, pairs. I really want fan art where someone draws some like Rey and Kylo, like Anakin and Padme when they're like frolicking in the field on the boot. Oh. Like, uh, <laughs> like but maybe instead of whatever those like weird ass creatures you have in Attack of the Clones are, you have like hapables just to like keep it relevant and current. Um, <laughs> right, yay, me, I think we might see more of a conventional flirty dynamic between um, Finn and Kelly Marie Tran's character. Yeah. Actually, I was watching um, Collider Jedi Council the other day, and Christian Harloff just casually referenced Kelly Marie Tran as his love interest. And I was like, wait, was that based on anything, or is that just a headcanon that's like. I, I think he reads Making Star Wars. Okay. Because they've been saying that. Star Wars or have long been referring to Kelly Marie Tran as um, Finn's love interest. Right. So I but think it... that's where he's picking it up from, more than like insider knowledge. But that is, I might be wrong. That's just my view. Yeah, that, that was kind of the impression I got. But like, again, love interest is such a vague term. You don't really know what that means. I know a lot of people were before Rogue One came out, 
the idea of Jin and Cassian being a couple. They're not a couple in that sense, you know, but there's something there that mm -hmm. you can talk about and point to specific moments and it kind of hints at a potential romance had things not gone the way with the story that they did. But um, yeah, there's multiple ways that could play out. So mm. I think we'll see something a bit more conventional between those two characters and lighthearted kind of offset the angsty um, tones of potential Raylo. Yeah. So. yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, right. Just to move things along. Um, like if so hypothetical, Say Raylo happens in the Last Jedi, like, let, like so. Do you mean like a kiss? Is that what? Yeah. When, when, when <laughs> well, well, that's the Raylo thing. Happens. That's the thing. Like, like I just thought. Like when I wrote that, I didn't think about that in enough depth. Um, oh gosh. Um, because because mm -hmm. like we said, like Raylo is already happening. Like that is <laughs> yeah, yeah. there in the story. I, I, are you well, are well, you asking what we want for like a head cannon? Because what I want <laughs> as a head cannon is totally different oh, from what. <laughs> Oh, we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. I'm like, this is going to be about the marketing. Oh, yeah. So oh, a okay. school situation where Raylo happens. And just for the sake of argument, let's say a, a kiss and a moment of passion. Mm. <laughs> like, like I said, I, I don't realistically think that's going to happen. But just say that like, unambiguous. So anyone watching it would realize that this is a romance. Raylo happens in The Last Jedi. How do you think they would approach that in the marketing? Like, because obviously that would turn many people's perceptions of those characters from the force awakens completely on its head so how do you think they would reconcile that and like manage it um i think that they would if they're if, they, if, if they're gonna show it that it's 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 completely that this is what's happening um and to ease people into it maybe we would see some sort of like hint at kylo's humanity in the trailers yeah uh, leading up to it not actually Raylo itself just to show that he's more complex than people realize mm -hmm. sure um and maybe we get some hints that ray is struggling right yeah um and i do and like if it actually happens but they don't want to have like a kiss but they want to show that there is an actual connection there mm -hmm. um in the last jedi like let's say they want to move it past this point where it's ambiguous to like okay this is definitely happening yeah uh, then i would can see the um like that we talked about tropes earlier so instead of the bridal carry trope i can see that pieta oh. or pieta um uh trope right where someone's injured and being carried um and someone's touching someone's face <laughs> yeah. like it's it's like once like it's 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 basically essentially a kiss without being a kiss right like yeah. whether it's ray touching kylo's un, uh, unmasked face especially the scar um or it's uh or it's kylo touching ray's face though i have a feeling that they might try to subvert that trope right yeah um i can see that them using that to fully and unequivocally imply that there's something there right because like it would be a very powerful moment right like you know where they've gotten past the point where they were enemies and she actually or like someone actually touches the other person's face like that's very intimate right yeah yeah um so i can see that happening in like if, if best case scenario i mean personally right now from what i've seen i can see that happening yeah personally. no that makes a lot of sense i was thinking that they might do something like can one of the trailers from for the force awakens i can't remember which one included the shot from right after the fight with kylo where ray is like next to finn like and she's like over his body and then oh, she yeah. looks up as the light appears and you see her sobbing mm -hmm. and because of the way that shot is framed in the trailer you can't tell who she's with 
And that shot prompted so much debate and discussion. Some yeah. people were saying it was Chewy. Some people were saying it was Han. Some some people guessed correctly that it was Finn. So I do wonder if they might do something like that. And one of the trailers have mm-hmm. like a shot that could be Raylo, but equally could be something completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like silhouettes or like just a really quick glimpse at something where you can't quite tell which characters it is. I do wonder if they'll do something like that. But that might almost be too much for tease. It would drive us all insane. Yeah. <laughs> I I think they'll probably be really subtle in the marketing. I mean, they might have, like, the poster. Remember how the poster was, like, uh, they have a light between them and they're kind of, like, on the same side? And mm. <laughs> they're going to do something similar to that. They're, they're going to try and point them as more adversarial now that we know that they're, you know, the main protagonist and antagonist. Uh, at the same token, I think that we're going to see little bits and pieces that'll give us life. And then um, we're probably going to see kind of, yeah, I think there's, they'll, they'll probably keep it as much under wraps as they possibly can because, yeah. yeah, they have to. No, that makes total sense. Like, it's, like I was just thinking about the databank stuff. Like, so that was like water in the desert. Like, yeah, that, that, that's so good to see. It's like, ah, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, by databank stuff, I'm just referring to stuff like um, vulnerable warlord. <laughs> and Kylo and Ray share a mysterious connection. Mm-hmm. Kylo sensed their destinies were intertwined. How? <laughs> <laughs> that's so heavy kind of nonsense you know like sorry i don't mean to be rude like i love it it's all amazing nonsense um but yeah that just made me think wow they really are trying to push this home aren't they mm-hmm. so yeah uh how about you kirsty what's your views on this i have trained myself not to expect anything <laughs> friendly so i am so good <laughs> i'm pleasantly surprised when things like the commentary and the databank come out because i i Judging by the fan reaction to Raylo after The Force Awakens, I thought it was all there in the film plain as day. So I wasn't like, oh my God, this is going to be the huge twist. I was just like, oh wow, that's sexual tension, huh? Mm-hmm. Uh, but obviously that was a minority opinion. <laughs> so I've been like, well, maybe it is a twist. Like maybe we're not supposed to see it coming. So they they wouldn't play it up, you know? Um, but I don't know. Like looking at the the way they did marketing for Rogue One and everything seemed a lot more haphazard than I thought it would be. Um, yeah. And it might just be that, you know, Rogue One was an, a weird example because it was the first spin-off and because they had all these reshoots that they didn't know were going to happen from the beginning. So a lot of the trailer footage didn't end up in the movie, hoping that The Last Jedi, Jedi is a bit more planned out than that. But um, I still think, like, based on that information from the um, the teaser or whatever it was that they showed at the shareholders meeting everything is going to be very isolated and give you glimpses of the characters and what they might be up to but without context yeah. like they're going to play on people's expectations so i'm not expecting yeah. anything like woo raylo <laughs> that's, that's a safe choice yep. yeah <laughs> so. that is very safe it is best to be conservative i think and avoid building up expectations too much yeah but um, based on that they they are still and again, this was something that I thought was pretty clear from the end of The Force Awakens, that Ray and Finn were going to be off on separate strands of the story. Um, you know, that they're friends, but they were going to be parted for a while because she says that out loud. Um, Finn is going to be off with missions regarding the Resistance in the First Order, whereas Ray's is more of a spiritual journey with Luke. Um, but yeah, I, I guess they might be making that clear. 
Yeah. So as opposed to like marketing Raylo, they're they're kind of moving people away. I know a lot of people were convinced after seeing the movie that Finn and Ray would end up together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I know that that could still happen in episode nine, but it sounds like based on what we've been hearing that it probably isn't on the cards for episode eight. So. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, right. Okay. So the last bit of this epic Raylo discussion <laughs> is basically to do a quick spin around everyone and find out what our most outlandish fanish wishes for Raylo going forward. Like this is not, does not in any way have to be realistic. Okay. So oh. th- this is basically asking if you were writing future movies and you could fulfill every heart's desire as you wished, what would you do? with these characters mm-hmm. okay shy go oh uh, so um mine is definitely outlandish um i'm also i love tragedy and angst that's my thing you know the darker the better so in, in a perfect world in, in my head canon um ray is a sean and goes full dark side uh and then she teams up with kylo ren they lay waste to snoke and make a grab for power instead of going back to the republic <laughs> copious amounts of sith fan service and then the recanonization of the entire old republic uh <laughs> <laughs> Probably a Star Forge phone in there. Um, I would love the Sith Empire to come back. And then on top of all of this, right, they turn into the villains for the next trilogy that you know it's coming after this because it's so awesome. So really not based in reality at all. And just every single little thing I love about the Old Republic shoved into the new stuff. Dream big. Dream big. Uh, Natasha, how about you? I don't think I can follow that up as well. mine's pretty tame um i think it was because eddie redmayne said that he uh he auditioned for kylo and that he did a piece from like jane austen like i think pride and prejudice right Mm -hmm. he (laughs) i just really want to see like the awkwardness of like both kylo and ray coming to terms with like the nuances of romance or sexuality when they're both like kind of overgrown children um Mm. and I also want to see a lot more of their kind of both of them have a lot of snark like you know um more so Kylo because he's definitely his mother's child you know like I want to see him just like completely like maybe put the two of them on the Millennium Falcon and have to you know fly together and like (laughs) have a really horrible time and yell at each other and have all that kind of empire tension that uh, was so wonderful about Han and Leia. So, um, you know, kind of mixed with this, you know, verbal riposte or whatever. So that's what I'm looking forward to. If it, if it happens, I would be happy, but I know that my expectations are pretty low. <laughs> and then I do, I do kind of want um, Ray to have, um, this sounds kind of cliche, but I do want her to have the whole kind of embrace her feminine, femininity thing right like um Mm -hmm. because she's definitely kind of categorized more masculine but i think that you know i think it's important to show girls that you can be a strong female character and a warrior and take on all these kind of traditionally heroic masculine attributes but also be a woman you know and have Mm. womanly things and like she doesn't have possessions she doesn't have clothes like you know leia needs to hook this girl up right like that's pretty much all i can say so yeah not that out yeah. there, but yeah. Yeah, no, that sounds really cool. Um, how about you, Kirsty? Uh, I don't really. I'm not like outlandish, but just like there's so <laughs> much, there's so much emphasis on both of these characters trying to find their belonging mm. that I feel like inevitably it has to go in that direction where they find it with each other somehow. Like, 
I, I ship Raylo, but not in like a super obsessively romantic way. It's just that that seems to be what the story is. That's between these characters who are both very lonely and, you know, unhappy with how their life has been going. Mm. Um, and, you know, Adam Driver's described Kylo in interviews and said that out of all the characters he's betray- portrayed, he's he identifies the most with Kylo Ren, which is super interesting to me because you get all of this backlash as a fan who does identify with Kylo that you must be like a fascist in real life <laughs> and have murderous oh my God. thoughts towards your own parents <laughs> and all this crap. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I don't care really if they end up making out on I guess I would just to piss off certain people but, uh, just that there's some kind of reconciliation which I think is inevitable and that yeah. um I not necessarily that Kylo comes back to the light in terms of a redemption story but that they meet in the middle somehow mm. um and that Ray integrates with that notion of dark and light as well like mm-hmm. that um she's in The Force Awakens, it's very much positioned that she's a light side character, but there's no real evidence for that because, yes, there's this like idea of her being the optimistic heroine who goes through all this suffering and strife and is still very good, um, but there is that inner darkness there. You can see it, and it really comes out, especially in their fight. Mm. Um, so that has to relate to their dynamic somehow. So yeah, I don't have like a specific, this is how I want the story to go. <laughs> I just want to see what it is. Yeah, yeah. sure. Um, so, yeah. Um Sorry, that's so boring. No, 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 no mine's boring. Fine. It's good to modulate expectations. <laughs> it's, it's not even just expectations. It's just like I'm super... I, I loved The Force Awakens, so yes. I feel like I'm going to love whatever else they're going to do with these characters. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, I'm here for the story. Yeah. Um, for me, like I promise this won't be as long-winded as the opener makes it sound. Um, like I think of the song Anthem from the 1980s musical Chess by ABBA members um, Bjorn and Benny nice. uh, and okay. there's a lyric in this song called my lands only borders are around my heart or something to that effect I really like chess okay mm-hmm. um, and basically the idea is that these characters they've been dealing with all these political affiliations and all these like macro factors that have like forced them to make certain decisions in their personal lives that they otherwise wouldn't have and that song, it's basically a rejection of that. It's like, no, I don't want to deal with other people's bullshit. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just going to do what's right for me and what's right according to my emotions and my needs and my desires and stuff. So it's like a song about self-determination. Mm. And in my dream scenario, by the end of The Last Jedi, Ray and Kylo will both have had their eyes open to how much BS is going down with the Jedi and Snoke and whatever the hell he's doing. And they're like, no, f*** it. We're going away and screw everything. And we're just going to go and do our own thing and leave this fight because it's not our problem. Yeah, I think that really makes sense for the adolescent stuff that he was talking yeah. about. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. No, I, I don't think it's incredibly outlandish. Have we all got our wildest fantasies out of our systems? Mm-hmm. <laughs> for now. Yep. Our wildest Raylo fantasies. Yeah. I'm sure uh, after episode eight, we will come back and reassess everything, right? Like yes. that's that's going to then show us how quickly things are going to progress either way. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. so, yes. so no, we're gonna have very different views on things by that point. Right. So, <laughs> I hope that you all enjoyed listening to that hilarity. Um, like actually, no, like other people were being 
like quite sensible like I was just being a bit silly and stupid in that whole Raylo discussion <laughs> um, like I, I don't know why I do like such stupid things all the time like bringing up chess <laughs> no you have more fun with it I'm like too scared to get my hopes up so I'm always like mm, I'll go for the most boring and non-controversial <laughs> speculation <laughs> yeah like I guess for me, it's because like I like to think I'm quite good at not getting overly attached to things. Yeah. So even though I'll come up with these wildly like optimistic predictions and stuff, like obviously not like I don't think they're ludicrously optimistic. Like say it's not the whole white picket fence Raylo scenario, I wouldn't predict that. Um, but yeah, like I like to think that I won't be devastated if that doesn't happen. You know, yeah. so just expressing it is my personal desire for where I'd like the story to go. Like, I don't feel like I'm making myself too vulnerable by saying that. But I totally understand why other people want to be more conservative. Yeah, I do I do have, like, ideas, like, headcanons, I suppose that's what they're called. Um, like, that I'll talk about with friends and that. But, like, having a podcast, sometimes you feel like putting it out there almost binds you to the theory. And you don't want to be like, oh, put it in writing or, like, here's the receipt that I thought this. It's like, it's just yeah. a possibility. So I'll, like, speculate more privately, but... Um, it's just like, oh, just wait for the story, you know, we'll see what yeah. happens. No, sure. Like, I, I think I, I lost all credibility when, like, I went from believing in Ray Skywalker to becoming a full-blown Raylo. No, because that's not what it's about. It's like, <laughs> I, I like that that's your path. Like, it, it wasn't mine, but it's like you do adapt your understanding of the story as new information comes out. Like, that's how it probably should work, mm, you know? Sure. Um, yeah. and, and likewise, if there had been something to come out after the movie, aside from the, the general fandom reception to it, to tell me you're crazy for thinking this, like if Pablo had debunked it or if there was really strong evidence that Ray and Kylo were related and what I saw was a mistake, then I would have accepted it, you know? Yeah, but, sure. So, yeah, still in the running. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Um, right, then that brings us to our next segment which is it came from Reddit. Yeah, we're doing the full show, guys. Be happy. <laughs> um, yeah, and this isn't anything earth-shattering, but it's basically that there was a post on the Star Wars Leaks subreddit, and it's basically from someone like on one of the Lego forums, um, and this person is meant to have like a very firm track record when it comes to like information about the Lego sets and which characters are going to be in them and which ships and so on. Um, so yeah, this information is meant to be quite solid. Like I can't personally verify it, but like it's like an upper echelon of Reddit rumor. So do what with it what you will. Um, and yeah, so I will just read out the names of the sets where they're actually quite interesting and worth listing. And so we have seven five one seven six Finn BB eight question mark seven five one seven nine Kylo Ren's tie Kylo Ren no helmet. Question mark, question mark, question mark. <laughs> 75187. Buildable, BB 8. 75188. Poe, pilot, officer. 75189. Two stormtroopers. Ray, Luke, question mark. So, Kirsty. <laughs> oh man, we really are dealing with the scraps right now. Um, <laughs> um, like, what stuck out to you about this? Well, we do have to be careful of Lego stuff because mm. they're not canon. Yes. And I don't know if we've spoken about it before, but there's some stuff in the, the Force Awakens Lego, Lego video game. 
<laughs> that's like <laughs> a- amusing, especially from a Raylo ship perspective, but it's not in the actual story. So it's like, you've got to take it all with a huge grain of salt. Uh, Are you talking about Kylo when like Ray's beating him and he's yeah. going, yes, feel it. <laughs> Cotton Strike me harder. <laughs> oh no. Very kid friendly. Yeah, it's um, very kinky. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, but if, you know, we're looking at these and thinking maybe they could play into certain elements of the film, I like the idea of Finn and BB-8 sharing more screen time, because I really love that part of The Force Awakens where, like, BB gives him the thumbs up. Yes. And, like, realises so that Finn isn't being quite honest with Rey. Um, yeah. And then this idea of, because we've heard about Kylo's TIE fighter before from making Star Wars, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, him being in there makes makes sense, and... Kylo without a helmet sounds good to me because mm-hmm. um, we'll finally get to see that scar. Yeah. Um, the two stormtroopers with Rey and Luke is interesting mm-hmm. because that's something that hasn't so far played into any of the spoilers that we've heard. Yes. So we have Rey and Luke. I know we're probably get, we're getting into proper spoilers here again. Sorry. Um, but we know that Rey and Luke are going to to encounter Kylo with the Knights of Ren on Act 2, but there wasn't any mention of Stormtroopers. It seemed like it was Kylo coming just with his guys, <laughs> but not necessarily on like an official First Order mission. So mm-hmm. this could be something else entirely. Yeah. What do you think? Um, yeah, no, like I definitely found that um, the set description the most interesting thing. Um like I say, it's very important not to take the Lego set configurations too seriously because obviously these are toys to be sold to children um, and so they just try to make them as attractive and marketable to kids as possible and that often means they're like chucking characters who they think are going to make it more marketable like irrespective of whether those characters actually interact or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think in like one of the Lego sets for The Force Awakens, for example they had like members of candy club come with like a millennium falcon set um, right. and obviously candy club they never actually go on the millennium falcon like they're vaguely in the vicinity of it because they're on like hans cargo ship um but like it still doesn't properly reflect how that scene plays out in canon right um but yeah like to run with this and say that yes there are stormtroopers with rain luke that's interesting like it like either suggests that stormtroopers actually go on to act two at some point like potentially with kylo potentially otherwise who knows um yeah does or... that question mark mean that another character is there they just don't know who uh i think the question marks they indicate that it's something that's currently being kept under wraps so oh, like okay. either a ship name or a character name or basically something that they can't share right now because okay. it's confidential um yeah, so it either indicates that stormtroopers would be going to the island, or that Rey and Luke leave the island and encounter stormtroopers elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like in any event, it's intriguing. Um, I also find the prospect of like having a Lego minifigure of Kylo without the helmet like quite interesting, because this it would presumably be the first wave of Last Jedi toys. Um, and that would differentiate this from the first Force Awakens toys because they all had Kylo firm, firmly helmeted, <laughs> um, if you pardon the expression. Um, so yeah, like it would indicate that maybe they're not going to be quite so shy about hiding his face this time around. Um, but yeah, that's extrapolation, so I might well be wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like no, it's 
an interesting thing to see and because news is so very non-existent it's like oh thank goodness anything <laughs> <laughs> i would yeah i wonder if the question mark with finn and bba is kelly marie trans character quite possibly yeah it'd make a lot of sense cool it'd, it'd be cool i'd like to see her interact with bba too yeah same I just, oh, I love BBA. I just can't wait to see more of him. BBA is so adorable. How can you not love BBA? I remember before I saw the film, I was speaking to my mother-in-law, and she was like, "The new droid is too cute." Like she <laughs> thought he was way too pandering, and she's a big R two fan, so you know, it makes sense. <laughs> Does she still was... think that, or is she being converted? I think she's like made a piece of it, but she felt like it was a bit too fan servicey. You know, it was like they'd gone out of their way to just make this droid the cutest thing ever, which is true. But I love it. <laughs> yes oh my goodness um right then we move on to what is going to be our substantial question time so we asked you specifically to send in your questions this week because we wanted to get through as many as possible um and yeah we will go and see how many we can make it through so enjoy right the first question is from an anonymous listener via email hello ladies one thing I've noticed about the Star Wars fandom is how much it loves its villains. Darth Vader is hailed as the face of the franchise. Characters like Boba Fett and Darth Maul are fan favourites. And according to TV Tropes, 70% of Star Destroyer.net forum users wouldn't mind living under the Empire's what? rule. What? <laughs> I've never Yay! heard of Star Destroyer.net, which is probably silly of me, but um, I've that's, never heard of that. That's crazy. <laughs> that is crazy. The Empire is a fascist regime. Oh no! <laughs> All hail Palpatine! <laughs> Seriously, what? These people are weird. Maybe it's just a joke, right? Yeah, I'd like to think so. It might have been like when everyone said they were a Jedi as their religion. Yeah, probably. Let's hope so. Um, which is why I was astonished to see the staggering level of hatred aimed at Kylo Ren and his fans. Apparently, he's the only major Star Wars villain you're not allowed to like. It's considered a stain on your moral character if you do. None of the other villains or their fans are treated this way. No one will call you a Nazi or an abuse apologist if you think Darth Vader is cool. No one will accuse you of woobifying Anakin or excusing his actions if you consider Palpatine's manipulation of him a critical factor in his fall. Nor will they ignore it or insist that being negatively impacted was Anakin's fault. But they do it all the time with Kylo, which seems both hypocritical and hurtful to the people who love and identify with him. I've also noticed that female Kylo Ren fans tend to get harassed the most, and the insults are often gendered when they do. Their sexual history gets questioned just as much, if not more, than their intelligence, morality, and political beliefs. They get compared to serial killer groupies. Their fascination with the character is chalked up to bad boy obsessions and superficial lust. Even several feminist blogs I've come across cast judgment on fangirls who romanticise him, saying that doing so teaches little girls to desire abusive boyfriends. The personal attacks and moral panic become much harsher if you also want Kylo to redeem himself and reconcile with Rey, because that would somehow debase Rey and send bad messages to little girls, something no one ever seems to worry about with little boys. Personally, I believe one reason why Kylo has so many female fans is because he fits into an archetype, namely the heroine's shadow animus, that women have been telling stories about for thousands of years. So to me, it's understandable why so many girls are drawn to him. I don't think girls liking or even identifying with him is inherently bad or dangerous, but treating those who do like monsters is practically encouraged in some circles. 
I'm normally not one to cry sexism at everything in fandom, but this is a trend that's becoming increasingly hard to ignore. What are your thoughts on this phenomenon? And what would you say to the people who engage in such behaviour? First of all, this is such a great, great question. It is. Like, I feel like I could have written this. Because yeah, it's I... really like you, actually. It's almost like your style of writing, too. Oh, well, I didn't send it, just to, <laughs> to clarify. I'm not sending in emails to our own podcast. <laughs> You're not that sad. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I can answer this because I have received like a lot of angry messages from people who like are really like quite aggressive about the fact that I do identify with Kylo and like him as a character. Um, mm. Like I, I tweeted out some stuff about him, like you know that there are a lot of fans who do identify with him, and here are some of the reasons why that might be. And then I got some like aggressive responses on Twitter, like imagine identifying with a fascist murderer, and, and it's like. I don't want to say to people, oh, you clearly do not understand Star Wars because that just comes across as like snobby and unnecessarily mean, but he is the shadow figure in the story. So you kind of are supposed to identify with him and that's what Ray's journey will end up being. Mm. You know, like the same thing happened with Vader and Luke. Like someone appears monstrous and then there's something more going on underneath. Like that's kind of the point of these stories. Um. So it might just be that because we, ha- we have the first act now, you know, so people yeah. are processing the story as it goes along and Kylo Ren seemed like a monster. So that's what people perceive him as. And that's, that's okay. Just do not be an asshole to other people. Yeah. Like that should be the basic requirement. But obviously this is the internet age and people are horrible to strangers all the time. So um, I think there's definitely an element of sexism directed at female fans. I could agree with that. Uh, it's probably healthy of us to kind of distinguish between the crap that people talk about online versus in real life or in the media because, you know, a lot of us use Tumblr and contribute on Star Wars message boards and that kind of thing. And the, your view can kind of get warped and you start to think that that's like everyone in the fandom is out to get you. And that's not really the case. Like it's not totally representative of how most people who like Star Wars think. It's just kind of a vocal minority that is very loud so it can seem like the majority. So try not to let it get you down too much. Uh, it gets me down, so I'm not like, um, I'm saying do as I say, not, not as I do. But um, I think the important thing to know is that the creators very clearly intended for Kylo to be a character that we should be a fan of. Mm-hmm. Um, like I always find this observation that fangirls romanticize him. It's kind of amusing because if you've ever heard J.J. Abrams speak about Kylo Ren, <laughs> He very clearly romanticizes him himself and he did in the story and in his commentary. So, you know, he's this very complex, tortured, uh, he's done up to look like a prince, like he's that kind of character. So it's like a, it's a classic combination. We've seen that before. And I talked about that last week in the spotlight discussion. So while that kind of character isn't for everyone and it's not for a lot of people who do like the Darth Mauls and Palpatines, um, it is a valid characterization like it's a recognized trope throughout history and storytelling um and some people like they just prefer the straight bad guys and that's fine but you shouldn't feel bad for enjoying a character or storyline just because of someone else doesn't like if someone's giving you grief just block or ignore them like it's so not worth engaging with those people because if someone's being that aggressive to you and they don't even know you it's not really about you they just have something that they need to get off their chest so yeah no, absolutely. Um, I think it's a really complicated situation when it comes to people's feelings towards Kylo and how they react to that character and his fans. I think one of the 
like most crucial factors in all this is that Kylo is very, very different from the other factors we've had. We've never had like a masked, scary villain like reveal himself to actually be like quite a beautiful dark haired man underneath <laughs> you know, like tall, dark and handsome. Like and I think you can't underestimate how much that threw people and how much that impacted people's perception of that character. Because when you see like general Star Wars fans talking about Kylo, often the line you'll get is, Oh, I loved him until he took the mask off and then he like completely lost all the intimidation factor, I was no longer scared of him. Like he just struck me as like this whiny crybaby. Like I see that all the time. And yeah, I think it just means they can't take the character seriously because they disrespect him because they don't perceive him as a threat as they perceive Vader as a threat. And because they don't respect him, like I think that filters through into being unable to respect his fans and like only assigning like negative like motivations for why they might like that character, or at least reductive explanations for why they might like that character. Mm. So like you can't possibly like Kylo because he's actually interesting or compelling on screen because he wasn't interesting or compelling to me. He was just a whiny crybaby wuss. So therefore you must only like him because he's really like attractive and for whatever reasons like girls like bad boys and stuff. So there. Like that is the kind of attitude I've come across a lot. Like, there's just this denial of the fact that there's any interest in Kylo beyond the superficial. Yeah, I see a lot of people as well, like, trying to police the way people like him. So you can like him in a certain way. You can like him if you sign on the dotted line that he is the villain and he did all of these things wrong and you acknowledge that and you like him as a villain and only that way. Yeah. But if you like him because you see that there is more to him and you want to talk about that stuff you get accused of woobifying, which is like this weird fandom term um, that's like, supposedly you're saying he did nothing wrong. I, I've, I've yeah. literally never seen someone say that Kylo Ren did nothing wrong, or if they do, they're clearly doing it in this trollish way to get a response. Yeah. Because anyone who watched the film knows that he did things wrong. Like, <laughs> he that, did things very wrong. <laughs> yeah, I, you do come across blogs on Tumblr who are like, Kylo Ren defense blog, he did nothing wrong. And I do think that, it, you know, it's worth talking about these ideas that are coming through in new canon we're going to have a spotlight discussion on empire's end next week so not to kind of spoil that but there have been hints in canon and and this is from the force awakens as well from leia's discussion with han that you know it can be argued that there was a form of abuse from snoke or at least this targeting and this predatory aspect from snoke towards ben solo Mm. so it's actually quite valid, and especially if people identify with that from, because of their own personal history, to defend Kylo as a character. Because people do that with Anakin. You know, you can acknowledge, as, as this person says in the question, you can acknowledge that he was manipulated but still was responsible for his own actions. You know, yeah. it's, it's not one or the other. It's complicated, and that's what makes the story interesting. Yeah. I, I think in, in quite a few ways, Kylo's almost too complicated. So he's this character who is full of complications, and he has, I'd say he has far more emotional depth than any other villain in Star Wars, easily, mm-hmm. by like a country mile. And I really do think that means that people don't know how to receive the character. Um, like obviously, a lot, of, a lot of people do embrace him and appreciate him in lots of ways. Not just like shippers, and not just people who want Raylo to happen. Like there has been lots of admiration, like for the characterization of Kylo, especially in the reviews for the film. I found. 
Like it's hard to find a review of The Force Awakens where they don't praise the idea of Kylo Ren as a character and like how he's portrayed. Um, but I think it does go against people's expectations of what villains and Star Wars should be. And because he breaks the mold in so many ways, in terms of his appearance, in terms of like his demonstrations of his emotions, and like in terms of like how he's portrayed in the fandom, like I think all of those things it just leaves people, especially people from like more established Star Wars fandom circles, it leaves them with a bad taste in their mouth. And yeah, like it just lead, filters through into unhelpful and rather mean attitudes towards the people who actually like the character um yeah it's a bit sad and frustrating Uh, and yeah there absolutely is a gendered element to it like if you're a woman who likes kylo ren then i think your motives are immediately questioned in a way a man's would not be yeah people are automatically suspicious that oh it's just because you find adam driver attractive or something like that and like it's just so wrong because like even like when you do find Adam Driver attractive, that doesn't that's not to say that's the only reason you like the character. Like and yeah, like it's just insulting and patronizing and it annoys me. Yeah, that's why I said just do not just do not engage. Like unless you have something like that you're you're not gonna get really upset about the fact that you're responding, like you have something to point to or, or you enjoy engaging in those kind of debates. But um, a lot of the time, people are just kind of out for blood. So it sounds so silly because it's just like it's about fiction. Like we yeah. can ha- we can have different opinions, but when people start making assumptions like "Oh, you must be a fascist in real life," or "You're a racist," or like imagine identifying with a murderer, which is what someone said to me. Like ugh, it's just so stupid. <laughs> it really, really is. Yeah. And like say in the first instance, the people who want you to identify with and care about Kylo are the filmmakers. Mm-hmm. I think they would not have presented him with all this depth and all this care put into his characterization if they didn't want you to feel empathy for him and be curious about how he became what he became. Right. So it's not like this is just people projecting depth onto a character for shallow reasons. It's about a character who already has depth and people are just picking up on that and responding to that. And for a whole host of complicated reasons, people perceive that as a threat and they don't like it. Yeah, I think partly it's because of how people perceive like Vader and Anakin in the original trilogy and the prequels respectively, right? Like it's pretty compartmentalized, even though I'm not sure that was George Lucas's intent. Like a lot of fans do seem to distinguish between, oh, here's Anakin and here's Vader. And it's like the whole point is that he's actually the same person. Yeah. Um, like, I think we found that at the Stars Identities exhibits actually. Yeah. They have these like little character stations where there's like interactive screens and there's separate screens for Anakin and Vader. Well, that was and so bizarre. It is bizarre. Like, it's the like, point no. is that he was this, you know, very emotional, um, tempestuous boy who had all this potential and had a lot of love to give and you know, had this relationship with this woman who he absolutely adored, but was so terrified to lose her and got manipulated because of that. Um, and then, I, you know, he is presented differently as Vader, obviously, because he's like lost to the dark side. But the whole point at the end of Return of the Jedi is that he was still in there somewhere and Luke came back and, and brought him back to the light. So it's just a bit weird to artificially separate the two. And I think the confusion is that with Kylo Ren in the sequel trilogy, you're you're having both elements there at the same time you're having the prequel Anakin and um, original Vader like together 
smushed into one character and he's talking about like oh ben solo's gone it's like he's obviously not but you have those two sides of the personality there and he's being torn apart because of that yeah so it's it's a much more interesting approach in my opinion but yeah totally because like you say it means it's impossible for people to compartmentalize it like they compartmentalize anakin and vader because kylo ren is both at the same time Mm -hmm. there's not like a clear transition point like because when Anakin like has all his limbs chopped off and is put into the suit, then that's a pretty clear dividing line between different parts in his life. Mm-hmm. Obviously, when he was still like hot and attractive, Hayden Christensen, he was still Vader for like a day or so and still doing really <laughs> awful things like killing younglings. But like that really is like at the extreme tail end. It's not for any prolonged period. Like, for the most part, there's, like, a clear dividing line between Anakin Skywalker and Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. And there's none of that with Kylo Ren because, like, there, it's not like he underwent some, like, in, like extreme physical transformation like Anakin did. He literally just stuck a helmet on his head <laughs> and <laughs> decided, okay, I'm going to go to the First Order and Snoke now for reasons that remain mysterious. Um, but, yeah, like, there's more for him to go back to and there's still more Ben Solo in him than he would like. Where's this... So I do think it's like 50-50 Ben Solo, Kylo Ren, whereas with Darth Vader and Anakin, like when Darth Vader was in that suit, I do think Anakin was always still a part of him. It was almost more like a glimmer than like still constituting a massive part of himself because he'd lost so much and changed so much. Yeah, I do feel like it's it's going to mean that the sequel trilogy is a more sophisticated exploration of those Jungian ideas of the dark and light within one person. Yeah. And how we we all have the potential for good and bad, but as you say, because there was that separation, and because there was a, such a time difference between the the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy, people distinguish between them as these two very distinct stories. When actually, it's all the same story. Yeah. So yeah. No, totally. Um, yeah, that was a fantastic question. So thank you very much for sending that in. Okay, and then the next email is from Irene, and this goes. Um, My first query is actually not from the sequel trilogy, but Revenge of the Sith. Coming out of it, my main criticism is that Padme died of a broken heart. Recently, I was watching a YouTube channel called Cinema Wins. He doesn't really do theory theory videos, but just talks about what he likes in certain films. And at the end of his review, he tagged on this theory. Anyway, he basically just speculates that while Vader was being put back together by medic droids... As he was struggling to stay alive, with the help of Sidious, he used the dark side to take Padme's life so that Vader could live. He also says that since staff Sidious never actually told us the process for extending life with the use of the dark arts, that taking another's life to extend someone else's could possibly be how it's done. He then states that unless Sidious just flat out lied to Vader, he couldn't really have known that Padme was dead. I'm assuming because he seemed... It seemed like Obi-Wan got her out of there before Sidious arrived on the planet, but I'm not sure. To try and hammer home the point, he brings up the audio effects um, during the few seconds that Vader's mask is being loaded on, lowered onto him and points out that Anakin's heartbeat stops for 12 seconds. While he admits that it could have just been added to symbolise Anakin dying and Vader being born and may not have anything to do with Padme's death, he found it significant enough to point it out. Personally, the more I think about it, the more believable it seems to me, because I always find it weird that someone like Padme couldn't fight to stay alive for her children. Do you think this could be possible? Kirsty, what do you mm. think? So I think it's understandable that some fans 
don't buy this idea of Padme dying of a broken heart because it kind of it does seem out of character, right? Um, mm. But I, I think so. On one set, on one sense, it like doesn't make sense, right? It's because she does have these children depending on her, but uh, I don't think it's supposed to be realistic. So, like this idea of her dying of a broken heart, it's more supposed to be like this fairy tale element because George Lucas wanted that tragic ending. Um, and I think in a way it would kind of undermine Anakin's arc and like the fact that he, that he has that irony in the story, right? That he's desperately trying to hold on to everything. And because of that, he loses it. Like he ends up throwing it away. Yeah. Because, um, you know, George Lucas has always stressed that Star Wars is about love. Like he says, love people. That's basically all Star Wars is. Um, so Anakin really did break Padme's heart. Like that's what she says. Like, is that's Anakin? It's not Palpatine, um, mm. because he became everything that she opposed. Like, she still has this hope that there's light in him, but it becomes so buried that he stays that way for twenty years before Luke comes along. So, I don't know. Like, it's fine for people to have these head cannons. Like, I, that's what that's one of the things I like about Star Wars that it kind of leaves these gaps for people to theorize and interpret it how they like. So, completely understand that some fans would not be okay with this idea of Padme dying like that because it can be perceived as this form of character assassination and in many ways George did kind of drop the ball with Padme's character like there's things mm. about it that I don't love but first and foremost I think it is about the creator's intent that's most important if you want to understand the story um so with like Star Wars as mythology it's designed to kind of evoke these very broad stroke ideas and emotions and um, you can take from it what you want and that you know, kind of enriches and guides your own life. Um, so it kind of comes down to what every fan wants to understand, right? Like it's it's kind of left with enough open end that if you want to believe that Padme was killed by Palpatine instead of Anakin, you can. Mm. Um, I don't think of it that way, but it doesn't really matter because it's all fiction. Like <laughs> I know yeah. that it comes down to that. It's like it's a story, so... Sounds kind of silly to say it because we have this podcast where we talk about stories for two hours every week, but <laughs> yes. it doesn't matter in that it doesn't matter what another fan thinks if you think something different. So it's not my interpretation, but I completely get that other people would prefer to see it that way. Um, yeah. What, what's your call? Uh, yeah, like I find it quite a compelling theory. Um, I'm not sure I believe it, but like I do think it's quite cool. And I think, like if anything, I'd say it almost like, adds to the irony because obviously... Palpatine like he makes this offer to Anakin that like I know how to save life like because my master taught me like um well Plagueis of course the famous Plagueis <laughs> oh gosh sorry I'm just thinking of all the Snoke theories I mm. can't bring up Plagueis without thinking of Snoke oh no um yeah so obviously there's that whole deal with the devil element and he makes that promise to him and I do think there's supreme irony in Anakin accepting this deal to save Padme, but inadvertently, in order to make the deal work, Padme has to die. <laughs> um, but then, yeah, you're right. Like it doesn't really work because obviously Padme is the person that he wants to save. And, I just uh, think that if this really was what George Lucas wanted to say with the story, it would have been a bit clearer. Yeah, because it's a very specific thing. Like if if it really is supposed to be that Palpatine ended up being responsible for Padme dying. Um, they probably wouldn't have showed Anakin choking her, probably wouldn't have said about Padme saying, um, 
you're breaking my heart. And then that's what they say later on when she is dying. You know, there is that callback. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I think it's, I don't know, it's tough. No, I, I think you're right. <laughs> I changed my mind. Um, yeah, no, so basically I, I do think that I, I understand why people like this theory and want to believe it because I think like it adds sense to what people perceive as nonsense because they can't think of any compelling reason like in the scientific or biological sense why Padme would die because obviously the film itself makes that explicit by saying that she's medically healthy. There's no reason why she should die in that moment. But like Kirsty says that the point isn't that there's necessarily like an immediate direct reason why Padme dies. It's more just like the extent of her grief is so powerful that it literally kills her. And like that's the tragedy of it and the tragedy of Anakin's love for her and his actions. Because in trying to action his love by doing whatever he can to save her, then that's what kills her because the lengths he will go to to save her like are absolutely appalling to her and she's horrified by it and she can't bear it to the point where she can't live. Um, and I, I do kind of wish they hadn't gone down that road because just the idea of a woman giving up on life when she's just had children, like I do struggle to fathom it somewhat, but I, I think I understand what the intent was at least. Yeah, I, I do think Star Wars and maybe the prequels specifically do raise these uh, questions because it's a story so it is like whatever the writer intended like that's what's supposed to come across and it's just kind of down as to how well executed you think it is or and also it's within our right as consumers of the story not to like a particular element yeah sure um so we can totally say like we don't we don't like or buy the way that Padme died and that's fair it's just it doesn't change what Lucas was trying to say yeah um totally so yeah it's interesting yeah no absolutely um right then the next email is from darkly doodlin (laughs) via email again which is a great name um right and then they say hey you probably hear this all the time but i love your podcast you guys are so smart and a joy to listen to oh thank you oh yeah you can keep telling us that yeah (laughs) please please do (laughs) yeah we we, we like ego stroking thank you (laughs) um i have a question that's honestly a little up in the air but hey to contextualize in one of the force awakens comic adaptions kylo's lightsaber got chopped in half by ray (laughs) 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 sorry i'm so sorry my mind is a hive of scum and villainy um i'm gonna move on um (laughs) It's unclear if this also happened in the movie or not. Do you think they're going to replace Kylo's saber or just have him repair it if it is in fact permanently damaged? It seems like a really iconic thing at this point, but I wouldn't put it past them to change it if only to sell more toys. I'm really interested to hear what you guys think. Thank you. Um... Grow up, Rachel. I'm so sorry. I am so sorry. I will cut that out. Um, I will cut that out. Um, yeah, no, like, I can definitely see them changing the saber. And I f- think you're absolutely dead on the nose on that. It would probably be for, like, oh, cynical marketing reasons. Yeah. Do we because have any spoilers about Because if they make mine and mod- um, about Kylo's saber, yeah. not that I have heard. Okay. So it's still kind of up in the air. Yeah, like it's there's no confirmation on anything about that, I don't think. Um 
Yeah, like, so I reckon they're probably going to change it, but it will be, like, minor modifications. I think they might make it less fuzzy, for example. Mm. So they might have him refine it more. Um, but, yeah, like, I really do think the main motive behind any changes like that is ultimately to merchandise it and say, hey, look at this new Last Jedi Kylo Ren figure and look how different it is from the Force Awakens Kylo figure. Huh? So, yeah. yeah, they are going to have to do that because everyone who bought a Kylo Ren lightsaber from the Force Awakens there's going to have to be a reason for them to want to buy the next one. They're <laughs> yes. just the exact same. It's just not going to happen. So yes, in the most cynical viewpoint, that will be why, but it should also reflect the character's development in some way, ideally, yeah. um, if they're doing their job as storytellers. So um, whether it's more refined or um, a different color or whatever it is, you know, <laughs> there's got to be some kind of story explanation for it. Not I'd like, love it if they um, like spoke to Adam and said, "Hey Adam, we're going to treat you like Samuel L. Jackson. Like, in just what's your favorite color? We're going to make your lightsaber your favorite color." Yeah, I mean, because uh, didn't Adam Driver? He was talking about the saber as a metaphor for the character in interviews before um, the film came out, right? Yeah, I think I saw several different people do that actually. So, yeah, it would just make sense that as the character grows and changes, like depending on which way he does, the the saber would change to kind of reflect that. Um, it was kind of left up in the air at the end of the actual movie whether she totally destroyed it or whether it was just kind of extinguished by the snow Uh, I take all the comic books and that as with a big grain of salt because they might be canon on one level but the film is king so yeah and those Marvel comics are bad (laughs) yeah not to say it like (laughs) necessarily undermines their validity as canon sources but it does kind of in my mind because they just seem so slapped together in so many ways. It's like, I'm not sure how much thought was put into this. Right. There's there's just no way to compare that with what's in the film. Because that was obviously overseen by the director, the writer, the story group, everyone. So, yeah. Yeah. It's fine to look, like, I do. I look into all of these things for clues. But still with the idea that, okay, well, if Ryan Johnson wanted to do something completely different, he would. You know, there's yeah. nothing actually stopping him. And that's really all that canon means. So, Yeah, precisely. Um, right, then the next question is from Brianna via email. So my question is, if when Raylo does become canon, which I believe it will, will Daisy have to defend Ray's decision to love her enemy? If she does, will it finally die? Because she's obviously okay with the idea of liking Raylo art, for example. Having Josh Gad get Judy Dench to ask about Raylo, um, which is part of the reason I believe it will happen, just like Emma Watson had to defend Belle against those saying Belle had Stockholm Syndrome. Uh, yeah, so I, I guess she's just asking, like, how would Daisy have to deal with like anyone who, were to, who was to come out and question, like, is this right? Was this the right direction for the story? Like, do you think she'd have to do the whole Emma Watson thing? Definitely. Yeah, and so- even after that, I don't think the controversy would die because we were saying last week, you know, this kind of character dynamic and you know this fairy tale structure of learning to love someone who you hated that has been controversial since the beginning of storytelling uh, mm. and i am kind of dreading the amount of think pieces just like from the beauty and the beast like there's going to be so many of them there probably already have been and yeah. if if this is where they're going with star wars it's going to happen then as well and i'm sure they have them fanakin and padme too yeah you, you know people still talk about that relationship as problematic and it it is like but i I just think this is kind of funny when people like point out these things in fiction that are problematic. Cause it's like, yeah, that's kind of the point. Like that's what conflict and drama is. 
That's what yeah. makes the story interesting, that we can have these conversations about it and evokes emotion and gets people talking about something. Like, that's what storytellers want. It's art. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you can't have every, every film be like Patterson, where it's about this lovely, happy couple where absolutely nothing really comes between them because they're so in love and so secure and, like, everything's great. Right. Like, that's great for a Jim Jamush movie, but, like, it's probably not going to work in, like, a mainstream operatic sci-fi series. Right. Where you need those, like, high dramatic stakes and you need that conflict. So, yeah, like, it's going to be, like, a fundamental element of the story. Um, Yeah, I'm sure there would be controversy, especially now, because I really do think that the way the media landscapes evolved it means that people are much more like vigilant about things like that. Like, and I, I do think that's good. I do think it's good to have discussions about these things, like in a constructive way. Um, but yeah, like I, I think of any, anything, the press tour for Beauty and the Beast will almost be like a dry run for what Daisy Ridley has to go through. <laughs> if Raylo does become canon, because I'm sure she'd be asked similar questions, to the questions that Emma Watson's been asked and she'd have to, like defend it and explain it and rationalize it from her perspective as much as possible i think that would Um, be true whether it was romantic or not honestly like there's there's such a resistance even if they turn out to be related there's such a resistance to the idea that kylo ren could be redeemed and then um be accepted back into the fold and as ray is the main character that would be kind of through her perspective yeah um i think there would still be um a need to address that like whether it was romantic or not like, and to be fair, I think we've actually already seen Daisy start to address it. Because, yeah. Like, she brought it up in an interview. I can't remember, like, which, like, out, outlet it was. But she brought it up herself. And she was, like, saying about how there's all these, like, interesting conversations, like, about chemistry and connection um, and, like, abuse and manipulation and stuff. So she was already then, like, discussing it in this, like, even-handed way, like, acknowledging that there's these strong debates and, like, these strong feelings about it on different sides um so yeah she might have almost been doing like a bit of like media training for herself oh yeah and not just like media training but like actually talking to the director the writers and her fellow actors about the story mm. like they would have been having these conversations about the character's motives and development oh, sure. right so yeah um you know it totally makes sense that that's something that she's thinking about as she's depicting the character and she said before like she knows that um you know what people responded to most positively with Ray in The Force Awakens and that she feels just like Carrie did for Leia. She feels like the custodian for the character now. So it's something that she's very conscious about. Like, how is this going to be perceived? Like, are people going to appreciate the development of the character? Or is there going to be some form of backlash? Which there's always going to be. There's always going to be someone on the internet who is unhappy with how the story goes, especially with Star Wars. Like, it's it's just a saga that generates controversy often with those people who profess to love it most. <laughs> yes. So, you know, that's what makes it interesting. I think bit... the level of controversy is proportionate to how much people care about it, to be fair. Right. Like, so I think people care about it so, so much that they form these, like, wildly out-of-proportion expectations and beliefs about how Star Wars should be. And so then if it contravenes those, then it becomes a huge issue that we must rant about and rave about. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think it's interesting to see that. Yeah. Is it, you know, the Beauty and the Beast one's probably a good comparison, not because the story is necessarily going to go that same way, but that um, through all of the controversy, it's still a very beloved story. Like that's why Disney have decided to remake it. 
it's already been hugely financially successful. Like the, you know, they proved that with opening weekend, it's already made a ton of money. People love it. Um, mm. So yeah, like I wouldn't worry about the idea of a backlash. I'm not sure if this person is or just saying generally, like it's just part and parcel of the media circus now with, with movies that evoke something unexpected or controversial yeah. Um, and they'll definitely have a PR strategy in place. Like if they had that for Beauty and the Beast, they will have it for Star Wars for sure. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like it's not like they're going to go in with like that eyes closed. They're going to be prepared. Um, like so, and it was interesting. I think I saw like again another interview from Daisy, and she said something along the lines of she's a bit worried about how people will respond to Ray after the Last Jedi, and they see what she does. And I can't help but think that that might well be about like what happens with Kaido and Ray. Like, not even necessarily in a romantic sense, but like Kirsty says, like even if she forgives him, like, or like decides to work together with him, I can see people questioning the character's judgment and saying, why would she do this? Why would she forgive him? Because, yeah, there are just these incredibly strong feelings about Kaido. Um, but yeah, interesting question, so thank you. <laughs> um, right, and then we have a question from Lainey via email. Have we considered the possibility that Rain knows why she was left on Jakku, or at least has some idea, um, whatever reassuring words her guardians gave her when they left? Not necessarily who her parents are or where she's from. This comes from her initial exchange of BB-8. She asks the droid where, what they're doing on Jakku, and after the reply she says, classified, me too, big secret, and then it's dropped and never really explored or explained. This could possibly play into her being of Imperial and or some other kind of important origins. What little girl would be so important that she would be abandoned on a backwater planet in order to hide? Or maybe to separate her from others? What if Ray was what people were trying to run from? Mm. Interesting ideas. Um, what what do you make of this, Kirsty? Yeah, I mean, Ray never actually says that she doesn't know who her family is. It's kind of yeah. funny because obviously it's a secret for the audience, but from her perspective, it might not be a mystery at all. Yes. Um, it's something that like, she just chooses not to share potentially with BB-8 and Finn and Han because, yeah. well, they don't ask, but also that, I don't know, it's like something that the audience is not supposed to know yet. Obviously, there is like Ray's parentage is part of the mystery box, but there's nothing that says she doesn't know who they are because, yeah. in fact, it almost points to the idea that she does. Like, if she's waiting for them, she must think that she's going to recognize them when they come back, right? Or yeah, at least they're you'd like to think so. <laughs> they're going to recognize her and obviously she keeps the hairstyle because... Well, that seems to be a, a logical assumption to make that if she keeps that same hairstyle for 15 years, it's like they want to recognize each other, like once they're reunited. So, um, mm. yeah, it's totally possible. Yeah. Like, I definitely think that Ray recognizes that she's there for a reason and that there was some kind of important event in her past that led to her being left on that planet. Um, like, I'm not sure how much she'd know in terms of the specifics because she was such a small child when she was left behind um and it's also like difficult to say how much of it would be knowing and how much it would be like wishing or desperately wanting something to be the case so for example she might want her parents to be like important powerful people who love her and actually really care about her and want her to come back um but it might be that that they are just horrible people who like left their child there for like Un, like ignoble reasons um, but yeah we will see <laughs> this next one's going to be very quick to answer <laughs> um, Jane via email how hyped are you guys for The Last Jedi? 
Kirsty, how hyped are you? Too hyped. <laughs> I'm hyped by a magnitude of ten squillion billion trillion. Yeah, I wrote in my I'm show. That hyped. <laughs> I wrote in my show notes LMAO because <laughs> I can't even express like I'm. I would like to say that my expectations are in check, but the truth <laughs> is that I have never been hyped like this before a movie. Like, yeah. I, oh my god. It actually concerns me a little bit because there's a lot of pressure on Ryan Johnson. Yeah, like I'm think wondering what on earth I'm going to be like, like in the say the week running up to the last Jedi coming out. Because at this stage, I really don't think we're going to have any of the main plot points spoiled before. Yeah, we this is going to so be do... really exciting. It's going to be really exciting, but also really terrifying. Yeah, <laughs> because the stakes are so high. Because we've spent like two years like obsessing over this thing and theorizing wildly, and obviously, like I'm trying not to get too attached to any of like my theories or wishes for the story or anything. Like it's inevitable that that is going to color how I see the film. So if it's something completely different from what I'm expecting, that completely undermines how I perceive the Force Awakens and the characters in that film, and like the broad strokes of where I thought they might go. Like so, say that like Kylo just does become like an evil, evil monster, and there's no character depth, and he just goes around like murdering people willy nilly and doing like evil, maniacal laughter wherever he goes. Then I think that would crush me. <laughs> To an extent. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but I don't think that's going to happen for a moment. So. I'm yeah, I think the most important thing to remember is that it's only the second part of a three-part like trilogy. So it's we have to prepare ourselves for the fact that there are probably going to be even more questions raised by it. It's not going to answer everything. <laughs> yes. So, it's yeah, it's not the end of the fandom roller coaster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's going to be interesting, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think it's definitely going to rock like everyone's expectations to an extent like no one is going to get everything right so it's just going to be so interesting to see how like what the hell happens and um how it's going to affect the fandom because like you almost want it to be like a seismic shift like when vader was revealed to be luke's father obviously it's not going to be that same kind of thing because that wouldn't be shocking but yeah. um well some people think that it is like ray i am your father um from kylo of course oh yes of course um but yeah it's it's going to be something that has people like talking manically about what's what's going on because that's what they want right like they need it to generate controversy like they want this to be a cultural moment so yeah yes it's exciting very very exciting right then we have jerry from ontario via email Hello, ladies. Loving the intelligent conversation in your podcast. Thank you very much. Could you talk about the significance of the scene where Ray is standing on the edge of the lake near Mars's castle on Takodana? Seems like there's more to it than just Ray enjoying the view in fresh air. We know that this is the first time Ray has seen so much green in the galaxy, do you, but do you believe there is any connection to the fact that Jakku used to be a lush planet? What is, the, what is the significance of this moment in the context of Ray's character development and the overall story? Um, yeah, Kirstie, what do you make of this one? Um, I'm not so sure about the connection with Jakku being, like, used to be a lush planet, which we kind of get mm. from Aftermath, but that is an interesting idea. It's something that hadn't occurred to me, so I'll have to yeah. think about that a bit more. But, um, yeah, I I think there's supposed to be a contrast between Jakku and Takadana. Like, that that seems pretty clear to me from the symbolism. Like, yeah. you can see it as kind of a crossing the threshold moment, which I... Uh, Ray has a few of those because obviously her getting onto the Falcon for the first time and leaving Jakku is a huge moment too. 
Yes. Um, but yeah, like they want to position this vibrant, lush landscape of Takadana in contrast with this lifeless stasis of Jakku that Ray wasn't able to escape for so long. Like psychologically, mm. she could have physically left any time, but she chose not to. Um, yeah. So there's this idea that her life was going absolutely nowhere. She was looking at that old woman and kind of picturing herself in the future. And then all of a sudden she's in this place that she never could have imagined. You know, it's so beautiful to her. Um, and especially the forest on Takadana, like forests are very common locations for fairy tales and that kind of motif of getting lost, um, like maidens getting lost and pursued by the wolf is obviously <laughs> like this representation of moving into adulthood and coming to terms with your own sexuality and others around you. Um, mm. So I feel like Takadana is pretty heavy with those. Yeah. Yeah, I think Kirsty pretty much hit on the nail with her, like hit the nail on the head with um her explanation there. Um I I really do think it, in many ways it's about like representing everything this girl could have had but never had. Um and it's meant to be like a very poignant moment. So it's like it's like almost like an extension of the interaction with Han where you can just see he's thinking this poor girl mm. like uh, and like realizing how wretched her life's been and how much of this suffering is also self-imposed because like he's shocked when like she doesn't jump at his offer and you can tell that like he realizes that there's more going on with this girl like why is she so fixated on like waiting like for her family like because presumably if she's been there since she was small then no one's going to come back for her yeah and i i think like he pities her but he can't quite work her out so she's a bit of a mystery to him yeah i've seen some people online say that when um she says i've never seen so much green in the whole galaxy or i didn't know there was so much green and han looks at her with this kind of you know quite sad look on his face yeah, I've seen some people like theorize that that's him connecting who she is. Like he recognizes her all of a sudden, like mm. you know, and especially people who think that she could be his daughter. Yeah, but I, I think it's almost the opposite because it's him realizing, like you say, how awful this girl's life has been, how little she's seen, and yeah. she is. She has so much potential, as we see that unfolds through the movie. Like she can do so much. She's so strong. She has so much compassion and loyalty and bravery. Like, Ray is just awesome. He just feels so sad that she wasted so much of her time waiting for her family. Like, yeah. I, I, again, coming back to the idea of Ray's parents, like, I, I don't care to speculate on it too much, but I feel like I'm going to hate her parents, you know? Yeah. I can't not because of they, they caused her to lose so much time. Like, yeah. There's so much trauma there that hasn't really been explored yet. Like, in The Force Awakens, she's still quite repressed and like denying to herself what's really happened, that she's wasted so much time and never had these connections with people and doesn't doesn't like doesn't have a life like she The Force Awakens is about her finding that life and destiny. So that is empowering and great to see, but there is the, such a sadness that I think we're gonna kind of see in The Last Jedi. Like I think they're gonna have to explore that with very more. Yeah. I think, um, like, it will depend on the circumstances. Like, so I, I do think that it's going to be impossible to like her parents if they deliberately left her there, like, with the intention, like, of not coming back for her. Then that's awful. But I think they would take, like, if she were, like, kidnapped or taken away from her family, then, like, I'd probably feel more sympathy for all parties. But Yeah, people like yeah. Pablo have described it as abandonment. Uh, yeah. Again, it's like that's not canon yet because it's not in the story. But um, if it is abandoned, 
there's just no justification for that like that's, yeah that's something i can't forgive i love her too much so yeah no like it's like why would you do that to your child yeah anywhere else there must be space orphanages somewhere come on right <laughs> oh, the opening one charge of the force awakens like with her oh it just breaks my heart so yeah it is really sad all that like pointless hope (laughs) okay right then we have our last question and this is from maria for our email hey kirsty and rachel i have a question for you at some point in the force awakens han explains the force to ray and says a magical power that holds together the light side and the dark it's true all of it is this foreshadowing do you think we're going to see the balance of the force ak raylo how do you imagine it um, I, I really don't think that's about Rado. I like I think it is like just what it seems to be, which is like hand defining the force. Because like I think it's easy to forget that for quite a few people, especially younger viewers, Force Awakens would probably have been the first Star Wars film they'd ever seen. So they will have needed like basic refresher introductions to the main concepts of Star Wars. So like the Force and like the Jedi and like the Sith. Yeah. And I think that's why that line is there. I don't think it's foreshadowing as such. Yeah, um, I do think um they are making efforts with the new stories in canon, like to to emphasize the fact that the Force is both dark and light, because it it felt like with the older canon that um the dark side was kind of seen as this perversion and bastardization of the Force. Whereas mm. now they're kind of emphasizing that the dark and light are integral parts of it. Like they yeah. are both there. They are both valid and have merit. It's not like dark necessarily equals evil necessarily. Like I know that they start out with that in Force Awakens, but I think there's going to be more to it. Yes. Um, and you kind of get that with Rebels and other supplementary material too. Like it's just not as simple as it first appears. So I think there's go- they're, they're going to go somewhere interesting with this philosophy of the Force. Um but I, I agree with you, that line specifically just kind of seems to be Han bringing the audience up to speed by talking to Ray and Finn, because we have to remember, Ray and Finn are completely unfamiliar with this. Like, Ray thought that Luke was a myth. Um, Finn, as far as we know, does not have the Force. That might change with the future story, but, like, the way he's depicted in The Force Awakens, it's very much like this is a new world to him, you know? Uh, yeah. And Ray too, so it's just kind of a device for Han to he's kind of playing that obi-wan role in that which is kind of ironic really isn't it if you think about the way that that is positioned in a new hope yeah um it's heavily ironic yeah so i don't think it's foreshadowing about the balance i do think overall in the force awakens there are lots of examples of other lines that kind of hint at where things might be going yeah sure um i just don't think that's one of them <laughs> right yeah yeah cool thanks for the questions everyone um we hope you enjoyed us um getting to them so obviously uh, quite often we can't get to questions just because of how long the show runs for um and yeah like last week we had a five-hour show and it's like i can't do questions now (laughs) i can't (laughs) um yeah so i felt like we were just fine skipping them but it was actually really fun to get to them this time so yeah um if you have any questions for future please send them to scavengershorde at gmail.com um and yeah, I think with that said, I think it's time to close the show. Um, where can people find you, Kirsty? I'm Bastila Bay on Tumblr and Scavengers Horde on Twitter. And I'm Star Wars Nonsense on Tumblr and Journal of Star Wars on WordPress. Um, so thanks for tuning in, guys. And we hope you tune in next week for our Empire's End discussion and any of the news that will have come out 
pray that it's more news than this week. <laughs> <laughs> um, thanks, everyone, and podcast soon. Bye. Bye.